0: It's funny. People always be like, don't forget about the little people. It's like, why do they refer themselves as little anyway?
1: You know? Why don't you just get big with me? They can see it in my eyes. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of John's Entitled Podcast, a partner of MoshpitNation.com. This week's guest is Dave Buckner, formerly a Papa Roach. Dave currently isn't in any projects. Uh, However, he is on Shipped Rock, currently as of the time of me recording this intro and all that stuff. Uh, For those that don't know, Dave has been a part of the Stowaways, which is basically a, a cover band consisting of various members of other bands. Uh if you checked out the episode of the Josta podcast with Oli Herbert of All That Remains, you would have heard that Oli is also a part of the Stowaways. Uh, also this year on the Stowaways is Michigan's own Chad Nicefield of the band Wilson, and a former podcast guest. Uh, Shipped Rock looks like it's been going to be a lot of fun. He is Legends is on the bill. Uh, I think In This Moment was on there. One of the new darlings of the rock scene, Dead, is on the Shipped Rock cruise as well. Uh, Looks like a lot of fun. I have a couple of friends that are actually on the, the cruise itself and have always said nothing but great things. So maybe this time next year I will be doing a cruise, the first time I will have ever been on a cruise. Uh, seeing rock bands and maybe doing some podcasts while on the open seas. Uh, I don't know if that's something you have done. If you have done a cruise before or have been on Shift Rocked and you listen to this, uh, hit me up on any of my socials Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Uh, most of it you can find me at Johnson Title Podcast or Johnson Title Pod if you're going through Twitter uh, or email me, Johnson Title Pod at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of Shift Rocked. Uh, if it's worth the money, I mean, by all accounts, everyone says it's a fucking blast. So. Um, I think I'm just going to bite the bullet uh, next year and figure out how to fucking do it. Uh, it looks like it's a bit of a process. Um, I don't know. I got the passports this year, so I would figure that's maybe the hardest part of uh, going on an international cruise. But it sounds like a lot of fun. looks like a lot of fun. Booze, rock bands, like-minded people. I mean, how can that not be fun? So hella jealous of Dave and Chad and all of those people that are out currently on the Shipped Rock cruise. Uh, but back to... Dave, so I in doing this podcast, uh, I've done the one with Nate and Ivy from Finch and got to talk about one of my favorite records, which is Say Hello to Sunshine by Finch. And it's one of those things where a lot of times I enjoy a record that most people do not like, uh, whether it be critically or commercially or all of the above. And seemingly for me, a record that I've always really enjoyed and I still actually listen to quite a bit is Papa Roach's Love Hate Tragedy, and following just the ginormous success of Infest, I just felt like that record did not do very well. Um, it spawns a, a decent amount of singles and so forth and got like a decent press push, but it just seemed like it kind of was left to die uh, once that initial push for the record was done, and it was just kind of sad that it's it's... Such a solid record, and I I don't think a lot of fans like it still, maybe to this day. I'm not sure. Dave does say in this interview uh, that he's had people come up to him and say that, you know, Love, Hate, Tragedy is their favorite record out of anything that they've done. So maybe it's one of those things that, you know, with all the the peer pressure and all that kind of stuff and and people being able to be removed from, you know, peers, that perhaps this is a, a record that finally will get its just due, you know, so, so far after its initial release. But I mean, that's the beautiful thing about music is that you can put something out, it may not hit when it's supposed to, or when you think it should, uh, as far as like, you know, hey, we just put out this record, and we're hoping people will really dig it. But it might take a handful of years for people to finally really understand what you were doing at that point. And it's kind of the downfall of sometimes being ahead of ahead of a trend or ahead of the time of of your listeners and what they're able to not comprehend, but just basically what their tastes may allow them to actually give a shot. Um, so we got to talk a little bit about Love, Hate, Tragedy and just kind of the, the cir- circumstances around that album. Uh, we actually went into what it, the, it was like for the band when they were able to basically go on tour right as they release infest and what was interesting too is having done the conversation with jared montague of taproot fame and you know hearing jared kind of talk about the first tour that they were supposed to do where you hear from jared's perspective like this is what was going to happen you know we're going to cut it you know the u.s right down the middle they were going to headline one half we were going to headline the other and then infest came out and you know they just blew up on on the success of their first single and it's just one of those things where it's interesting to hear Dave tell his perspective on how the events played out from from the Papa Roach camp. And there's some other stuff that we kind of end up talking about in this chat as well, like you know my memory of you know just Alien Ant Farm being pushed heavily with Papa Roach, like that they end up making. Um, there's just this is just a really fun conversation I had with Dave, and it's not someone that I've ever met. Uh, I, actually, I take it back. I have met Dave before. We have had a conversation, uh, and I kind of talked to the talk about the differences between when I met him on the Love Hate Tragedy tour where to where I met him on the Getting Away with Murder album cycle. And it's kind of interesting because that the day after I ended up doing the conversation with Dave, he kind of had talked to me a little bit about what it meant to him what I said uh, during this conversation. And you know, it's reciprocated. I really wanted to take the time in this intro, as I said in last week's episode, that I really wanted to take the moment to thank Dave, actually, for being so open and honest with someone that really he doesn't know and has never really met, Uh, I mean, in the sense of, like, you know, you meet your fans during meet and greets and stuff, and, I mean, I know I'm probably just a a face in the crowd, I'm not gonna be one of those people like, remember that one time when you were here? I don't like doing that, because I know that people don't fucking remember, so... I'm not gonna play that that card uh, with Dave and, and hope and pray that you know he remembered the conversation we had in a slew of like 25 or 30 conversations he had that same night with other people. So, um, but it is interesting because it does seem like between him and Jared, uh, or I'm sorry, Rob from Nonpoint, because uh, Nonpoint was on that tour, the Love Hate Tragedy tour that came through here in Grand Rapids, uh, that they both seem to remember that show and just because of how sparsely attended it was, but not through for a lack of. Uh, fan participation, because I do remember the fans being pretty into the show for both Nonpoint and for uh, for Papa Roach, uh, myself included. But as a whole, this was just a really fun conversation I got to have uh, about a record and a time frame that really means a lot to me, uh, given the fact that this is when I really started spending a lot of my own money on records that I identified with that I really enjoyed. And so to be able to talk to someone that's associated with something that just is such a a deep part of my musical maturity or or uh musical self-discovery even of sorts it's just really cool to be able to to have you know this two-hour conversation with Dave and uh it sounds like he might be doing some other podcasts uh I'm not really going to be able to speak too much on that because I don't want to I don't want to say that he's going to be on someone else's thing and then find out it's just not able to work for a while but uh it does sound like Uh, If everything works out, he might be popping up on some other podcasts that I have mentioned on this podcast a handful of times. Um, So hopefully he does do some conversations with those people because I think they will get some other information out of him and some other stories that I think uh, are awesome and interesting to hear. As Dave kind of – we go on so many tangents. We go on to – Netflix (laughs) suggestions and stuff and uh, I might cut some of that out I'm still kind of on the fence but I do kind of really enjoy when you hear two people just having an interesting conversation and it goes from being very scripted and and, then by the numbers like okay like here's where we're trying to go and and then we're trying kind of getting there but then we keep deviating because of these side tangents and talking about things and to me I think that gives you a different more inside look into a person's life and just kind of feel like you're a fly on the wall. So I really dig interviews like that. Uh, I don't even think they're interviews at that point. I think they're just conversations. Um, And I'm trying to get better about doing that with some of these people and just having a conversation where I sprinkle in questions that I want to know. So uh, the NFL playoffs happened, obviously. Uh, I put out the episode really early uh, Sunday just so I could beat the playoff games from that, like when they happened, uh, the Patriots ended up winning. And there was a little bit of a, a, wondering, uh, Oh, you know, they're down by 10 and can they pull it off? And, and they of course obviously did. Uh, so the Patriots withheld their end of the bargain upheld their end of the bargain as far as winning that game. And initially going into the Vikes, uh, Eagles game, I definitely was thinking that the Vikings had it. They scored a really quick touchdown, uh, to go up 7 nothing, and then <laughs> they just got their asses whooped thoroughly. Uh, it was really interesting, and uh, on top of that, you know, I had said in my podcast intro leading up to the playoff games uh, that basically looked like the Vikings, the way they celebrated their win the week before against the Saints, it just kind of looked like, you know, basically... That they had gotten as far as they thought they were going to get when a team celebrates a game like that, even under the circumstances of just having an insane come from behind walk off touchdown like that. Like, I understand, like, it's a holy shit moment of all holy shit moments. That might be one of the greatest plays in NFL history, let alone the playoffs that we will see for years and years and years. But it's still one of those things that when you looked at the team, they seemed to have celebrated like they won the Super Bowl right then and there, and they still had two more games to go. Um, And it's like, you know, I've seen that too many times where a team basically celebrates something, and then it's like, you're celebrating the wrong thing. You still have so much more to do. And... It was a good run. I really wanted Minnesota to be one of the, f- the first home team to play a Super Bowl in their home stadium. But looks like we're going to have to wait a couple more years for that to happen. Uh, what you don't have to wait for it to happen anymore is my chat with Dave Buckner. So without further ado, this is my chat with Dave Buckner, a Papa Roach. Yeah, no,
2: man, I'm 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 free, man. I, I, you know, I've set aside this uh, this part of the night just to
1: talk to you, dude. Cool. Yeah. All right. So here we go then. All right. Cool. So with doing this podcast, I have had the the awesome luxury of actually getting to talk to a lot of musician and band people that I've admired since my late teens. And some band people that basically were the inspiration for me wanted to pick up an instrument myself, whether it be sloppily playing drums or trying to play guitar. And tonight is one of those, is no exception. It's one of those instances where I get to talk to someone about a band he was a part of and an album that I have loved for shit, probably going on 12 to 15 years at this point. And that guest is uh, none other than Dave Buckner, formerly of Papa Roach. Thank you for coming on and uh, talking with me this evening.
2: Oh, man, thanks for having me. I appreciate you reaching out and um, and asking me to be on the show, man.
1: It's pretty cool. Awesome. Thank you very much. Um, so I'm going to kind of dive right into it. I mean, there's so much to kind of dissect, and, and a lot of places I kind of want to go. So obviously, my experience with Papa Roach, I think, is, is very much the same as everybody's. You know, being a kid that's in, now I say kid, I'm 33, going to be 34 this year. But I'm a, I'm definitely an MTV person. I grew up, you know, having MTV on at all times. Growing up in the '80s, watching music videos and all the stuff subsequently that would come on, and just a product of music, excuse me, being an active part of my childhood. And I remember, in my formative years of getting into music on my own, this video for a Papa Roach song coming on, and it's just basically uh, I forget and I was just going to say it's a very at the time like a legendary music director I can't remember who did it but who ended up doing the Last Resort music video um, but he typically worked with if I'm not mistaken like Britney Spears and, and did like big budget videos and stuff and I just remember this mm-hmm. very basic video like white platform, the bands playing on it, surrounded by fans, sort of a fisheye kind of look to it to get the wide perspectives but just this very sort of aggressive but also very intimate feeling video for for Last Resort and like this lyrical content that was very different from what I was hearing growing up. And I just kind of connected with it, but I remember, and the thing about buying Infest when it came out, And i just remember putting on infest on my fucking cd walkman and just burying myself in this fucking record that i had waited like a month month and a half to finally hear and just being so blown away by like how good it sounded and how raw it was and all this kind of stuff and it started this like love affair with the band and i feel like from my perspective looking back now it's like you guys really kind of shot out of the cannon like you were just boom like all of a sudden here you were like this single just took off so i mean like what was that like for you guys
2: well, first of all, thank you so much for your kind words about our music, man. That's that's really um that's very I have a lot of gratitude for that. And um so I just want to let me express that to you first. Um thank you for being a fan and now that you are like a grown ass adult, you know what I mean? And now you have your own podcast and and um uh, just to be able to be here is uh, is uh just it's pretty cool. It's really cool, man, how how um just how life works sometimes, you know what I mean? Right. But um and then, and then, um, and then, just to address the the director of Last Resort was a, a guy named Marco Ciega. Ah, that's who, it. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. He went on to direct movies and stuff like that. He did our first two videos, actually. He did. Um, and Last then Broken Cell. Yeah. Broken Home. Broken, broken Home. home. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. But um, so you're asking about the uh, the the launch into the stratosphere that we experienced or whatever. Yeah. Like, is I mean, cause yeah. like when I was
1: talking with, uh, when I was talking with Jared Montague of uh, Taproot, he, on the podcast we were discussing, he was like, you know, when we started off, the goal was to, you know, you guys would basically headline half of the tour from the West coast, kind of going into the Midwest. And then from the Midwest going to, I believe the East coast, they would headline. But then what happened was, is in the middle kind of going to the Midwest part of the tour Infest just blew up to where you guys are selling like thousands and thousands of copies like every week and then it was like well we're the headliners now
2: (laughs) yeah man okay so yeah that's definitely yeah Jared is totally correct we were we had planned our first um our first tour you know to support that album with Taproot um it was us and them. Yeah. Just exactly like how he, he, he tells the story. And I actually read, I read that in his book and I read that story in his book and I thought it was, it brought back some really cool memories of touring with them and how much I really like just respect those guys as people and musicians and just how cool it was to, to take that ride and have, you know, to take that ride with them, you know, to be on this tour. And because until the album came out, like we had done, um, you know, we had toured, Locally, you know what I mean, and built our fan base and then became a regional band, like West Coast type band, uh, before we got a record deal. And then uh, when we went in and recorded the record, and then, um, um, you know, it came time to, to support it, you know, they sent us out, you know, in our, um, in our, this white van called, we had called Moby Dick. We, <laughs> we, took out, we started the tour of Moby Dick, dude, the Great White Whale, you know? Right. Uh, it was just us in a van and a trailer, and we had done a couple tours before the launch before the 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 main, you know, launch of the album. And literally, like, we were playing in front of, like, you know, maybe five to ten people to, like, in a good town. Maybe there was a hundred <laughs> people there, right. you know? And uh, one of those shows, like, we got to play, like, at CBGB and, you know, a couple of pretty cool venues, you know, along the way. Um, and then the first actual, you know, official tour, like, where it was, you know, okay, we're supporting the release of the album. I believe it was, like, in April, uh, early March something of 2000. Um our man, you know, we, we connected with Taproot and had hit the road. And that was the idea. It was that, you know, okay. So Taproot's like a bigger band, you know, signed, like we knew their story, um, you know, the the whole thing of, uh, getting connected through Fred Durst and Limp Biscuit and, and, um, and all that. So they were like a band on the rise. We were a band on the rise and, um, you know, it was just going to be a cool tour, you know? And, and then, yeah, pretty much like when the record dropped, um, if I remember correctly, um, we had we had set the record at that point. Like the week our record dropped, we had sold thirty thousand records, I believe, which was up until that point. Um, that was the most record any brand new band had ever sold, period, okay. in the history of music. And the only the the current the record holder up until then was Slipknot. Okay. So yeah. we we beat Slipknot on our first week. And <laughs> and then after that thir- first thirty thousand, it just I don't even know what happened. You know what I mean? It was just crazy, like wild. We call it the demon hell ride. It was very surreal for me. Uh so like but uh and, and I'm sure that record has been has been, you know, beaten whatever since then or whatever. But at that moment we held it and that we could, you know, we could be proud of that or whatever at that time. So that was cool. But yeah, like literally within like weeks, I remember the record had just dropped and like within a couple weeks, I remember we were, we were hanging out at a club in somewhere in the South, I believe. And, um, it was like right around my birthday. Yeah, it was by my birth. It was like right around my birthday, like right around May, we got the note, we got the call from a manager that said our record had gone gold already. And we were just like, what? Like what? And then, and then right after that it was gold and then it was platinum and then it was double platinum and then it was triple platinum. You know what I mean? And then so
1: and something I, not to cut you off. Something I actually I, I still want to bring up because I just saw a one of their more newer re- records just went gold as of like yes. the last day or two. I saw you actually commenting on that. Um, yeah, I
2: tra- I commented on on Travis's, Travis's yep. uh, and, and Brandon's. Brandon's, yeah. Yeah, uh, Instagram and I was just like, "Dude, you know, like congrats because that's uh, especially considering that 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 sort of phenomenon just doesn't happen these days. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is like, (laughs) Let alone rock music.
1: Thinking about the fact that – and now today we have streaming added to it to make something go gold. And and I'm not lessening the fact that their record went gold. But I'm thinking when you guys went gold, then platinum, then double platinum, you were at the very end of when actual physical – buying a fucking cd remember cds you,
2: weren't they great Those i still
1: awesome. have a ton of cds um <laughs> and vinyl i still i collect vinyl now i'm basically buying all my youth like i i actually just bought infest on on vinyl and it was a real hard toss-up because i was like do i want infest or do i want love hate tragedy it's like my le- my wife will actually listen to to infest more if i buy that and i was like so that'll be the first one i buy uh there you go but regardless of all that like thinking about how you didn't have all these extra platforms, basically streaming and so forth, or and maybe, I'm trying to remember if ring, like because I remember people had platinum ringtones, like when that was mm. a fucking thing, mm-hmm. um, which dates me again. Um, but it's one of those things where, literally, you guys sold that many physical units. People went out to a store and bought this record. And in thinking back about that, it's like, you guys were on the kind of last wave of of people actually going out and buying and supporting a band in that kind of facet.
2: I I would totally agree with that sentiment. I'd like to say that we were sort of, we got to ride the last wave of like the golden era of rock, you know, when, you know, rock bands sold tons of records and, you know, it was all, you know, it was all gravy, you know, and, and it's just not that way anymore. And and it is what it (laughs) is. And, and, um, you know, and, uh, it's just the you know the world changes you know and and uh, times change and and that's it is what it is <laughs> but we that was definitely a memorable very surreal experience for me you know to say the least
1: so in kind of setting up some some questions I have about the the follow-up record when you guys were making infest did it feel like it would be this thing that even now looking back I'm trying to remember that that album came out in like what two thousand
2: 2, I believe three, yeah.
1: 2003, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say either mm-hmm. the end of 2001 or the beginning of like 2002ish, somewhere around there, mm-hmm. but yeah, I was going to say. So I mean, we're we're looking at, you know, 16 years of this record being out and it's still kind of considered sort of like a, a seminal landmark album not only for the band but in that genre of, I mean, sort of new metal whatever you want to call it, but just, mm-hmm. you know, hard rock, I'll say. Mm-hmm. And it was like this resurgence of hard rock between bands like Corn and Lint Biscuit, bands that would kind of become your contemporaries you know, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to think of you guys making this record and being like, did it feel like it was this thing that you were like, wow, this is, like, this is a solid fucking record we just made. And it's gonna, I think it's going to really catch on. Or was it just one of those where you're like, hey, these are good songs. We can, we can yeah. get behind this. Like, did it feel like it was going to be as significant as it ended up becoming? You know, are you talking about Love Hate Tragedy, right? No, I'm talking. I'm talking about Infest oh, at first, kind of setting okay. up, setting up Love Hate so, Tragedy, kind of going into talking about the recording of that.
2: So, yeah, recording Infest for me, I don't know what it felt like to the other guys, but for me, I felt like, okay, you know, we're we're this is our first record, you know, our first major label record, and we got a good batch of songs. We learned a lot making that record. It was our first time working with an actual producer. You know, worked with
1: Jay Gardner, Yep
2: correct and you know we he taught us a lot as far as um like you know just things like 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 song structure and arrangement and um you know parts and i think it was i'm not sure if it i think it was jared who was talking in his interview about how like when you work with a producer and they're like is that really the best chorus you can come up with and we're like you know and so like it, like i remember working on specifically blood brothers And we had reached this part in the song. Well, first thing, Jay made us, like, Jay made us strip all the songs down. We had to play all the songs in front of him with acoustic guitars and, like, shakers and just, like, play, like, he's like, like, we're going to strip all the electronic, all the big amps, all the guitars and everything away and see what kind of song you have. And then, you know. Um, we, we'd play him songs and specifically blood brothers. Like I'm saying, like we hit this part and like, we had a chorus and I forget what we thought the chorus was, but Jay goes, you know what, that song, that part, what you think is the chorus is not the chorus. It's the bridge Okay. and you need to come up with a chorus that's better and bigger than that in order to carry the song. And so we're at first, you know, our knee jerk reaction was like, what are you talking about? Like, what? Like no one ever told us like that. We were doing something wrong or incorrect. No, we had never had any kind of education in that way other than like what we picked up along the way, working together as a band, you know, so it was quite a learning experience, something, and it's something that's affected the rest of my career for sure. Um, and number one, you know, just as far as like keeping an open mind and an open ear to went, like when you hire a producer, like you are hiring like a fifth member of the band who has, you know, even though he's not playing on the record. Although Brendan O'Brien did play on our record, so I'll get into that. (laughs) But um, um, yeah, you know, like so, you're hiring this like you know third party, you know, or fifth party, whatever. Like the fifth Beetle, you know, to sit back and go, okay, look, like let's really break this thing down and figure out what you have, you know, and and um, being willing to have an open ear to that and be receptive um, was at first a challenge, but once we did it, it made all the difference in the world.
1: It's funny, a band that I, I often. You know, reading guitar magazines, reading so much about bands that I was into. Because, I mean, you know, back in the day of print print magazines, like you had, Hip Parader, Circus, so many avenues to find. To yeah. And I, <laughs> I remember, remember a band that I, I've loved, and I'm actually trying to figure out the best way to go about getting this person on the podcast, actually. Uh, I remember reading in Guitar World, Christian from the band Blindside. And he... Yeah, oh, yeah he was like, when I write songs, I write them on acoustic because I know if they're heavy on acoustic, then it's going to obviously translate when I put it on an electric guitar. Wow. And it just like blew my mind when I heard that. I was like, oh my God, no wonder these songs are so good. Cause like he's brought it down to its most basic form. Like the songs right off the bat, yeah. right off the bat. It. yeah. And then that's, basically that's when he's really taking amazing. it to the band, I never knew
2: that about him.
1: Yeah. And so like, when i so
2: smart too because like when you think about it like plus your melodies for
1: vocals and stuff you're gonna be able to like really hear them and focus on them and shit yeah those are
2: gonna be on lock from from the from
1: jump you know yeah
2: so then when you start putting effects and distortion and like big sounds yeah all that is just there to support what's already a great song and you know what i think blindside is one of the most underrated bands
1: in rock history silence is probably one of my favorite records it's probably in my top
2: 50 amazing just amazing and just amazing musicians and great showmen i remember like when we tour we did a tour with them
1: i've never seen them sadly
2: oh really oh Oh, man man. i I, mean i don't know what they're like now but
1: um they did that silence 10 year a couple years ago and they basically just stuck to one or two west coast states did new york and i was like fuck please come to the midwest or somewhere like chicago so i can go see this fucking tour and this album it's like still such a seminal record to me and, back in the day i remember they were just so amazing like they would do like jumps and flips and yeah. like and just play all their instruments perfectly you know what i mean yeah but and like, this is before and, like people had tracks too like so I oh mean yeah. like <laughs> so like what you're hearing is actually what you're seeing i've heard nothing but great things about that band and i it's it they're i've thankfully have knocked off most of my bucket list bands like refused was one of my bigger ones and i've now seen them twice in the last like five years so uh, blindsided. You know what? I've never seen Refuse live, dude. <sighs> man. As they... much
2: as I've listened to Shape of Punk to Come, like, literally, like, it was, in 1998, that was the only record I was listening to, man. Like, so that was it. You know? What's
1: funny about that record... That in the
2: F.A.R. record. <laughs> far, okay, yeah. Water and Solutions.
1: Actually, it's funny. In the last uh, couple of days, I've been reminded of things I've said and, and something I was actually just talking with my wife uh, yesterday. We were at the bar having some drinks with some friends, and I took over the internet jukebox, and I played because uh, when I got in the car, she was listening to this record, so I played the big single off it, but I played Vast, if you remember that band.
2: Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And yeah, I was I like, this I band yeah. was so far ahead of its time. Like Their singer is so phenomenal, and his like vocal melodies and his range and just his lyrics are so good. And I was like, I can't believe this band never got any bigger than they were, or at least that this dude never went and did anything beyond Vast
2: right and so, yeah that was like the last you ever heard of them then right yeah pretty much um, yeah dude i told i remember that record i had it in my cd collection it was That's one of the so records good. that i had um you know we used to get a lot of uh, you know like promo cds and stuff yeah promo cds and then our record would like um, our record label would like give us like the company credit card and we go to tower records and be like get the cds for well, yourself yeah because i like, write them off yeah and that, yeah and that was like one of the cds that
1: i had gotten and i remember it being so good and like and so yeah you're right so ahead of its time you know yeah but um no, I was what I was kind of saying though is that uh, with Refuse, like I made the comment to as I was talking about how I talked with uh, Nate, and, uh, I, Nate from Finch. You know, I, I related that their second record was very much like the It was basically that genre's Shape of Punk to Come because when Shape of Punk to Come came out, it flopped. It did not do well because people were like, "This isn't fan. The Flames of Discontent. I don't fucking like this album." Right, And and then the band broke up subsequently, like right after it came out and then went away for 10 years. And people (sighs) had 10 years to get like, to really understand the record and how fucking amazing it is to where then all of a sudden it was like, have you heard of this band refuse? They were so good, blah, blah, blah. Their shows were (laughs) like, it was almost like by them breaking up it actually uh, like added to their legacy that never really was.
2: And, that's wild man because you know it's funny like as a band guy like yeah. as a musician like as soon as the, i remember i don't forget who i heard it from that but they're like dude you have to check out this new refused record because i i had heard a fan the flames i heard a couple songs like yeah it's good good hardcore you know yeah. what i mean and i think some of the some of the local sacto guys you know i think they had come through i don't know it seems how, like how, something like Chino,
1: like it seems that seems like a band that like if you were hanging out with like death zones dudes like they would have had it like, that seems probably. like, a, like, Deftones seems like the kind of band that, would I mean, they toured with Refuse, like, uh, a couple years ago, so, I mean, of yeah. course, they probably were, like, obviously into that band, but that would be, like, from what I understand of, like, how the Sacto scene was, I mean, just kind of like any music scene, it's, like, there are certain bands that just kind of, like, are in the know of, like, records that people don't know about yet, and they're, like, yeah. well, have you heard this, this record? It'd be, like, Chino <laughs> going up to someone and be like, like that. Have you heard this uh Refuse Band like they just put out this like amazing record I'm all about but they broke up. <laughs> yeah, dude.
2: Yeah, I mean it was it was very much like that. Like everyone was trying to figure out like the most, you know, obscure
1: band like but talented band. There was a band called Bark Market if yes. you know yep. who that yeah. My old roommate all... loved them. Same with uh dude. Them in VOD like and uh Carnival. He was like Yeah, of disorder. Dude, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Yes, you're bringing yeah.
2: back memories, dude. Oh, oh wow! I show
1: I show wow. my age sometimes.
2: <laughs> wow. Well, you know I ain't afraid to say it, dude. I'm I'm a I'm an old dude. I'm an old vet. I'm a veteran of this rock and roll thing, and and um,
1: I go back. So like, all, yeah, you're speaking my language right now. <laughs> but uh, going back, kind of to to your band. So, I mean, we kind of talked just a little bit there about the success of Infest and just kind of how it basically, to use a wrestling term, hot shot. you right, to like? You know, you're you're getting your videos played on ncb Like, you know, I think you were even like pretty high up on TRL when that was. Or now, now it's a thing again. But yeah, uh, when yeah, TRL we had was like number
2: on. one video on TRL for a while, yes. and then Broken Home went. I think I believe it was. Um, we released it, and it went to number one, and then we jumped in. Because uh, I don't know if you ever seen the the Broken Home video.
1: Yeah, but it's pretty intense. It's a yeah. pretty intense video, especially when like, you start smashing not, all the stuff in the house. Yeah, and it's yeah. not
2: really the kind of video that, like, there wasn't a lot of that really happening around that time.
1: The only but, other um, video I can remind, it reminded me of, and I think it came out right at the same time, was "Corn Somebody Someone. It was really dark, and, like, okay. they started, some, like, okay. the shit was, that, was kind was of, that the, the one with, like, yeah, that what that it was is? Issues. Okay. It was, like, them in the subway tunnel. Okay. And then, like, so. shit started crumbling as, like, the, the breakdown at the end started coming in. And I was like, this feels good. Oh, and it had, like, the okay. same okay. saturation to the video as, like, your, your Broken Home video did. Mm-hmm. So I was like, huh. And I, I can't remember if the same dude or somebody that was the same, like, worked on the videos. But they, they kind of had a very similar look to it a little bit from the actual, like, saturation of the video. See, I'm, I'm hmm, that very nerd cool. who, like, remembers that wow, shit. Wow, dude. <laughs>
2: yeah, you know all kinds of stuff. This is rad. Um, but... The so with the the Broken Home video, I remember like it we it got played, we it went to number one and then I forget whose idea it was, but it was um one of someone someone in our camp's idea, like we're like, let's go on M T V and retire the video so we can go out on top. Oh, so as soon yeah. as it hits number one, like as soon as it hit number one, we went on the show and we're like, you know what? We hit number one, we don't want you know, we don't care, we don't need this video to be played like all day, every day like the other yeah. one. Yeah. Let's
1: retire it, and like we we had Carson retire the video for and us. And then I like think that's on. what started the retirement after what seventy five days or something like that. If it was, I
2: don't I don't yeah because they maybe, started yeah. retiring after videos that, they after that. Yeah. videos, right? Yeah,
1: okay. yeah. 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 Holy wow. shit, I forgot Dude, about man. that. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> man, wild, wow. bringing back my childhood. <laughs> um, if I,
2: I don't know if you remember, but one of the times we were on TRL, we did a we did a boy band dance. That was my idea. We did like a little oh, Backstreet Boys. Like, vaguely you know, remember that. Jiggy with it thing. Like, yeah. I wish I could find the clip on the internet somewhere, but it was, it was pretty funny when you look back at that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so as, as we kind of have talked a little bit about this whole conversation and, and with you know Shape of Pump to Come and, and Finch to Say Hello to Sunshine, you guys put out a record that I still hold in very high regard. It is probably... I mean, and this changes depending on the mood I'm in and, and all this kind of stuff, but I would easily say Love Hate Tragedy is probably my top hundred records of all time. Um Thank you. There's very much like how I point to and I have some notes like for those that you know won't see this, but like literally I have like two pages of notes. And something that I wrote when I was just listening to the album before talking to you right now, there's so much growth that everybody in the band head from that record from from Infest to this. Mm-hmm. And I mean like even like like on a song like there's this decompression period is like probably I think to me like the, the song that showcases the most growth as the band. Mm-hmm. Because I mean like there's it's it's not about being loud and, and pushing. It's it's a lot about what's not being played and allowing the song to breathe to really showcase Jacoby's lyrics, but the the song allowing building a vehicle to kind of just put you in this this, this kind of mental state kind of of sorts Mm -hmm. and it's like Mm -hmm. there's even like a triangle like that Mm -hmm. i hear like before like the the chorus kicks in and and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and you know listening to the record it's like to me when i listen to it it just there's so much growth that you hear that you all collectively as the band you just went to this next level and i remember i mean obviously uh fuck i'm Totally blanking on the the first single that was like the. Cause oh, she loves me not. She loves me not. She loves me not, loves me not and I remember you guys did the song, the video with David Myers because it was a big thing for the yep. uh, making the making the video thing yep. and talking about how different members of the band couldn't handle being in that like fucking Tilt a Whirl thing and uh random information that it would give it was like, "Well, this is Jerry's wife or girlfriend, and she's a playboy playmate, and you're just like, Why yeah. does that matter <laughs> and then like weird you know like, what, th- you
2: know what's crazy about that? They're still married to this day man they that's i think yeah, you're right. they were just dating at the time that we made that video, and they got they ended up getting married shortly and, after. If and uh, I'm they not mistaken. have like, they have uh two two beautiful uh girls you know together, and um yeah man they you know. They kept, they kept it together, dude. It's pretty cool.
1: But uh, it was really weird, like, seeing, like, at the time, really interesting effects, like the, uh, how they threw in, like, background actors, like, superimpose them into different stuff in the background of the video. And at the time, yeah, I was like, kind of like, wow, kinda this- like subliminal, subliminal, Yeah, thing. That was actually yeah. my idea as well. Oh, was it? Okay. I was like,
2: dude, I want to put, like, subliminal stuff in the video. And um, I remember Dave Myers being like, Myers, oh, yeah. Dave Myers had the idea to do it in this, like, you know, broken, run-down carnival thing. And there's even stuff that he put in that video that um that I didn't even catch till later. Like just like stuff that kinda they're like little mind worms, little visual yeah, like, little little eye worms that kinda like you don't realize what you're looking at till you see it later. Like, um like okay, there's one reference and this hasn't been confirmed, this is only my opinion. Right? <laughs> but there's a scene where there's this dog, right? And it's it's t- this plastic chicken. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And um if you think about the subject matter of the song right okay and um which is about you know kobe like uh, and his his interpersonal relationships with like his wife which a lot of a lot of pop roach songs are about that right but um there's like this rottweiler this wild rabbit rottweiler that's that's like trying to escape and he's chained by this chicken right yep and and i don't know if this is if this is just me, it probably is. But in <laughs> hip hop terminology, there's like a—it's kind of a misogynistic term, but they would call like cock. Like, um, no, they would—they call uh, women chicken heads.
1: Oh, and yeah. It was, it was
2: like a Wu Tang thing, chicken head, yeah. like a you know, like a like a front, like a, a trifling girl, you know. Yeah. What I mean? No, exactly. So you have this dog who's being chained down by this chicken head. And, and the like, dog being like the dog,
1: dog, like being a dog. Yeah. Like
2: Kobe's a wild dog, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and I don't know if that's just, you know, like, so you're like a wild animal. You're out there on the road and like, you know, you're like, you, got your you know, she's holding you, she's holding you down. You're like, you just want to go out and run wild, but there she is. And I, I don't, I'm not sure if that was Dave Meyer's intention, but <laughs> you know, it was like maybe a couple years later down the line when I kind of put that together and I was like, I wonder if, you know, and I, it's never been confirmed. That's just my theory. But I'm that kind of – I have that kind of brain that kind of sees things a little differently than other people. Um, so there's that.
1: You just – I don't know how this – I mean I, I kind of can follow the train of thought. But you just reminded me of the song No Pigeons. The, right. Do you remember that song? The the from, the answer from – uh to No Scrubs.
2: Uh, no Scrubs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No Pigeons. Yeah, I remember and then, that.
1: And then I was just thinking of uh, – I think there is a song called Chicken Head by uh, Youngbloods if you remember them. Right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs>
2: uh, so there you go dude I mean that's um, you know
1: that that yeah there you go that's that's my story I'm sticking to it there you go I, I like it I like uh, the inference of uh, a deeper yeah. meaning even in just the visuals of that I mean there's but, a lot of that sprinkled into that video anyway but the other thing too that yeah, I was trying to remember totally. was uh you guys, and I still, I still love this, this beverage, uh, the Pepsi Blue tie-in. Oh, yes. okay. <laughs> Back when that was still a thing, you can actually get uh, tie-ins with your sinks with uh, either you know, video games and stuff like that or even Pepsi Blue. Um, so going into Love, Hate, Tragedy, though, as a whole, what was the you vibe? Know,
2: Timberland was in the video for that,
1: Pepsi Blue. Was
2: if it really? Saw the, the, yeah, the video. Well, there was, was there was the like cars.
1: three.
0: There, there were
2: three edits, two or three edits of that. There, there was, was two videos. We shot one one video um, that was shot in Sacramento and it had us setting up like you know sort of a renegade stage setup and like yeah. kids coming to the show like yeah. and they would follow us around Sacramento and it ends the video ends with us on the like the Folsom Bridge. And like we're playing, and the kids are there, and then like police show up in riot gear, yeah, and then the, they they start descending upon us, and then as they get to the right when they're about to like you know throw the first you know like
1: tear gas or whatever, yeah, tear
2: gas or whatever, everyone disappears, and the cops are just left standing alone, on but, you know em- on an empty
1: bridge. By the and way, uh, I'm I suddenly reminded: why does Pepsi have a thing for thinking that their product will end riots? <laughs> Dude, I don't. Because twenty that, years later, yeah. they have the Kendall
2: Jenner well, thing. That video had not, That video was before the Pepsi thing, you know. Um, right. And I, I'll just tell this story. There was, there was a, uh, there was. Um, I don't know if I should tell the story. I don't know. Maybe I'm throwing a little bit too much of the industry in there. But so that video, we shot that video, and it ended up being we shot it with the. Um, there was these brothers. I forget their name. They were. Uh, it's not the brothers. Dust Brothers,
1: right? No, not the Dust but, Brothers. Okay. Um,
2: I can't remember their name, but anyway, the awesome director turned like the video was amazing. Great, yeah. great video. But then there was some kind of issue with like Avril Lavigne had just released a video like right at, like before we were about to release our video, she released this video for this, uh, this song called skater boy. Yep, And it was like very, very similar to the video that we were about to release. Okay, so There was some kind of like internal, like freak out where they're like, dude, we can't, or MTV was like, we can't play this video. I don't even know if that was like, I think that's the reason they told us, but maybe they didn't. I don't know if they wanted, maybe they didn't want to like air the video because they had like, you know, you know kids going against riot cops or I don't know. Maybe that had something to do with it. Right. But other than that, like the the rest of the video was a very similar setup where like she was setting up around town and like there was kind of a guerrilla. Yeah. Thing. So yeah. there was some issue. We had to scrap that video and I always regretted doing that. But, um, and that's when this, this, Pepsi deal came through and they're like, and they got this big time director, Sam Bayer, um, yeah. and who like had shot, like just, I don't know, like just huge, right. Re- like, I think he'd done like Britney Spears and all these other, you know, huge videos. And so like they came with this huge budget and it was like $2 million budget. And, and, um, you know, MTV was like, well, if you know, like if you do the Pepsi video, like we'll, we'll give you, you know, guaranteed rotations or something like that, which ended up not panning out. And, um, um I mean, it that's... ended up just being a commercial for Pepsi, <laughs> which was, and every, the crazy thing about it is everyone thinks that we made all this money off it. We made Probably not dollars. How, made, how like, many the, cases of Pepsi the, blue
1: do you still have? <laughs> yeah. None. Oh, none. Damn it. So,
2: um, you know, that I don't even think we got like free soda or anything out of it. It was like, it, it was like, it's funny. Cause in the papers, you know, in, in the news, it was like, Oh, pop Roach did a $2 million deal. It's like, well, yeah, pep, you know, like yeah, Pepsi and And uh, DreamWorks, our label, they, they somehow got the money and we ended up not, you know, we had nothing to do with us, you know what I mean? But that was the story that got put out there. But anyway, (laughs) that's a little insider information, just in case people
1: thought we were like scoring some big money off of that, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that way. It's very amusing the uh, post I just made on Facebook about how I was prepping for this. A friend of mine just is <laughs> still texting me and she goes, "I just saw your post. All I have now stuck in my head is uh life is a bullet stuck in my head just on repeat." Oh, and I was like, <laughs> "Yeah." So, very that was, funny that, that uh that, a, that she and apparently she's uh probably working at uh at the bar and will probably play it on the on the touch tune. So, there you go. You can get your uh, Life what. is a bullet. We have, Life is a bullet.
2: They um They put it in an episode of The Sopranos, I believe.
1: Oh, really? See, I've never—that's still a show I've never actually watched. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I
2: think you know I wasn't really like I never really got into it. I think I watched a few episodes of it, but I wasn't like a huge. I'm not, you know,
1: I wasn't. I typically with with anything if I haven't gotten into something when it's first airing, (coughs) and then all the buzz is happening, and I'm like, well, I'm already in this. It's like typically by the time like a show like Sopranos is done I'm like because I don't want to I'd rather just watch it all when it's done but then the problem is is like a a show like that where I'm like there's so much expectation like if it if it doesn't even if it just like an iota doesn't like meet the expectation I have I'm like well that was a failure it wasn't as good as everyone said it was because it didn't live up to my expectation that everyone's been putting on it for like the last decade so yeah dude
2: it's you know when the hype machine gets going dude it's kind of you know it's, it's hard to you know, sometimes like shows. My favorite shows are the ones that like come out of nowhere and like there's no hype, there's nothing around it, and they're like the best thing. Like for me, like Black Mirror on Netflix. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Man, dude, I'm. T- it's like that's like my favorite show since. I'm like two seasons like
1: behind, but yeah. Actually, I just oh, uh, I awesome. just watched. Uh, I had a good day off a couple of days ago and uh, ended up watching this show called uh, The End of the Fucking World. It's a okay. like BBC show. seems like yeah. I've seen that.
2: I've I've watched it, but I've seen that
1: online. Netflix. It's it starts off like it intrigued me because it's like the synopsis was like he's trying to find a way to kill her on a road trip and she's trying to escape her world. And I was like, "Okay, this sounds weird." So, and it was only 8 episodes. So I was like, and it's like 22 minutes. So I was like, if this sucks, I'm not wasting too much time. But it starts off one way and you're like, "Okay, I think I kind of got an idea of how this goes." And then I think it's episode three where the, the big thing that fucking happened, the, the crux of the show and, like, where okay. it kind of goes from there. Like the like the hook that finally gets you in? Yeah, like the thing, okay, the okay. thing that happens and you're just like, okay. whoa! And then, like, as shit keeps happening, it's like things kind of change and the characters kind of switch roles and shit. And I was like, what? okay, like, this is kind of fucking weird and, and kind of all over the place. So, like, that's, it's a solid show that I'm like, if you're, in, if you don't mind, like, bbc type shows like because it's definitely a bbc st- production i think uh yeah. so if you don't mind like accents like my wife fucking hates it she's like i can't do it i can't do it with accents so i'm like well this isn't a show for you then uh it's really good in the the way they end this first season of it definitely ends on a cliffhanger we're like what happens now uh and then the other one i watched All was right. uh this show called atypical with uh michael rapaport oh and did you watch that
2: Atypical? that's that's uh, it's about the kid with uh he's autism uh, Aspie. yeah yeah he's, he's asperger's right uh, i don't think so, it's as good oh real quick babe so um john says end of the fucking world on netflix Oh,
1: make cool. a note yeah oh, real
2: quick oh, yeah. okay cool man just to handle that business yeah we're,
1: we're, we'll probably check that out like you cool. can plow through it about, i think it's like takes me like two and a half three hours to watch the whole whole series um yeah. then, no i
2: dig i dig atypical too man because um
1: we I, I i have it reminds me like freaks and geeks and shit like it's like serious but like funny and it rides that yeah. line and it's so good yep and i don't know if you finished it or not but uh it ends on an interesting cliffhanger oh no we haven't finished it yet so i'll have
2: to get back into it yeah my wife my wife's very picky
1: about shows and she i got her to watch this like i think you're gonna like this because like i tried getting into Ozark. she didn't she was like this show's stupid and i was like you gave it like the first like the voiceover for the first like three minutes like nothing's gonna happen in the first three minutes but like that show was fucking intense if you haven't seen that show uh, What's that? Ba- Ozark with Jason Bateman. Oh, yeah,
2: dude. Oh, yeah, Holy we, yeah, we killed shit. That
1: show. Yeah. That was amazing, dude. That I show that was show. fucking intense. Oh. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, like, uh, there's so been... So good. So yeah. good, Ozark. Anyway, random so, side uh, tangent. I think
2: we were talking about one of our records. What,
1: what yep, we're Love, Hate, tragedy. tragedy. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, so, equally as good as any great show on Netflix, uh, you go from Infest, and... How was that for a segue? <laughs> and... uh <laughs> You guys go into the studio to record what would end up becoming Love A Tragedy, and what's interesting is like I I feel like for as much buzz as you guys had, for, like I mean, like you said, you went double platinum, maybe even triple platinum by the time the whole touring cycle was done. Yeah. I mean, like because you guys did crazy ass tours, like you did that uh, tour with like Eminem, and I can't remember what the tour was called. Uh but you like you that were the, the anger
2: management anger tour. management tour, yeah, and yeah, you guys are yeah, the but, only uh, like
1: cypress hill and like
2: so we did the anger management tour twice we did one one time the first time was on the record cycle the infest record cycle and that was with um limp biscuit was the headliner okay m&m and exhibit and yeah that was it yeah okay okay. and then and then we're in fact i think exhibit was like the opener which is wild to think about um because he's so badass dude you know yeah mad respect to exhibit but um that tour was that was great, and then um, a couple years later on the on the like it, it came back. Part little, two, and yeah. we did the left. Part two was with Eminem, and then we were the main support. Okay, and then uh, M had D12, and then I forget who the opener was. I thought it was. Um, I thought
1: Cypress Hill was on that tour.
2: No, 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 they weren't. No, we never toured with Cypress, man. Although mad respect to those guys, man. I've been listening to them for years, and right. you know, I'll go
1: back. Oh, maybe those I'm thinking of the Open but... Smoke
2: tour, which is also a writer on then too. Possibly. Possibly. But um so yeah, one anger one version of the anger management tour was on the first record and then we picked it up again on the second record. Okay. Um but um
1: I don't know what we were talking about. Other than <laughs> trying to, <laughs> I was gonna say trying to get to Love Tragedy, but so going okay. into going into that record, what's interesting is thinking about like how much press and buzz you were getting from Infest, and I feel like you know obviously the the industry collectively you know between like your TRLs like oh we retired this video and you know we hear the band's recording a new record so on and so forth. That I remember there being you know like a lot of buzz about this next record that you guys were doing, but seemingly by the time the record came out, I really honestly don't remember much press or publicity about it. Like, it almost seemed like it was kind of like, and you know, we talked about the, the, she loves me not video. And like, I remember that Mm -hmm. being a big thing for the, the making of the video and so forth. Yep. But I mean, Mm -hmm. like outside of that, I really don't feel like I remember there being much press behind it. Like, it almost is like, she loves me not while it seemingly was a pretty big single, especially for a first single for the second record yeah I don't really remember the album getting much of a push right after that came out. It was like where typically like your next single should be coming after some of these bigger tours It was like, yeah this record's dead and it just seemed like you were like left to kind of promote a record that no one else was pushing
2: you know um you know with that record it's interesting that you that you give me you know that you let me know your point of view on it because I do remember like building up to that record there was a ton of press i mean a ton of promotion behind it we did the 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 promotion we did like a a show on top of best buy in la with like the big inflatable baby and like all that stuff. oh yeah yeah, i forgot the first single and you know i don't know man um i'll say this about that record we definitely made the record that we wanted to make yeah because we could have easily just went in and said okay we're gonna make infest part two yeah. And, you know, which a lot of bands tend to do that. And, and, and it, it seems to work out as a market, you know, from a marketing or commercial standpoint, that yeah. usually is the best path to take. Like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Right. But us as people, as artists, as musicians, we're like, okay, we made that record. But even as as you were mentioned earlier, there was a de- that demo that you have, let them know. Right. Which has yeah. like, basically it's, Half the songs of love hate tragedy. i oh, say I think
1: yeah. it's got walking through barbed wire binge. Uh, I also love how, by the way, on this thing, you guys. Okay, so they they spelled well, shit wrong on this first and foremost. Oh, okay, because like instead of binge, it's B M G E. Uh, instead of I uh, I don't even know what the fuck this thing is, but it's like Tam instead of I think like Tom me Yeah, that was an
2: older song. Yeah, okay, that's an that, older
1: song. That's spelled wrong, <laughs> but obviously it's a made-up word. But it's funny because, like, I remember like when I got this, I was like, "This looks like some bullshit-ass like bootleg stuff." Like, binge. so obviously, I think
2: what you <laughs> have in your hand is a—it's obviously a. a foreign it's from bootleg. Sweden, yeah. It's from Sweden,
1: yeah. But and
2: that—that that right there is a combination of the last two EPs that we had released before signing our, our deal with DreamWorks, and that was um, five tracks deep, which yep. had um, it had revenge. Uh, binge, snakes, walking through barbed wire. Yeah, they
1: got t- this all wrong then. Because for, for online, you know, and they thrown away
2: and thrown away was on that. That's the first five tracks. And then um, in 99, 1999, we released Let Him Know, which had uh, She Loves Me Not. Um,
1: <laughs> damn, we're going to walk. We, uh, well, no, I was going to say, like, legitimately, anyway. legitimately on this, like, you just said what was on five tracks deep. What's on this yeah. uh, as five tracks deep? Is Revenge in Japanese, My Bad Side, July, Tambi Enemy, and Thrown Away. The oh, Let wait, him. no. Wait, wait, wait. You're right. Yeah, that it, is, this that's is right? right? You, okay. Right. Yeah, you okay. Not okay.
2: right. I have it wrong. It's my no, that's... Brain is already failing me. Nope. Okay, so <laughs> that's you...
1: fine. I was going to yeah. say, like it wouldn't surprise me if a bootleg is wrong. <laughs> yeah. No, but... I was
2: wrong. So, yeah, you're right. You're correct okay. on those. Those are the five songs. And then, okay. and then what does it have for the Let Him Know track? Let Him
1: Know was uh, Walking Through Barbed Wire, Legacy, correct. what I assume is Binge, but it's called BMGE. Okay, but I think if I'm not, I haven't listened to it in a little while. I think that's binge shakes okay. and then tightrope, the the not version of tightrope from Infest, but the more like, like kind the of rock, rock Yes, yeah, yeah,
2: was like a, yeah, we called it the Puck rock version, but okay, um, yeah. So, um, you know, with 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 that EP, we had already started even before we recorded Infest. We had started branching off because you know we have different, we have multiple influences, you know, right like, uh, as musicians and whatever and as a band we had already started um exploring like more punk rock more straight ahead type rock so that's like she loves me not um which is like straight ahead rock not quite metal but straight ahead rock mixed with um rap and right and then, and then tightrope which was like we called it punk rock it's not not really punk rock it's more just like rock and roll but um so we had already or- and then walking through barbed wire obviously too so we had already started experimenting with that direction and then when we went into to make Infest, we brought all those songs to Jay and those were kind of like, Jay was like, okay, let's focus, you know, like, you know, I really like Last Resort and I really like, you know, um, Snakes and I really like Thrown Away. And so let's write some more stuff that fits into that mold and like make the best record, you know, this kind of record. And so we were like, okay, cool. And that's when we ended up, we wrote, you know, songs like we wrote Dead Cell and like Between Angels and Insects and... Stuff like that, but with, so with Let Them Know, we had already started branching off, so when it came time to, like, make Love Hate Tragedy, we were of the opinion, we're like, okay, like, we made that first record, we have a choice, like, it was like a fork in the road. It was like, do we want to just regurgitate the same stuff from the first record, write a bunch of, you know, Infest Part 2 songs, or do we want to, like, you know, try something a little different, and, like, um, we took that, we... Took that you know that ethic and and ran with it you know what I mean we um and even down to like we didn't even bring Jay back for that record which like you know we probably you know commercially we probably just should have like went in got got Jay back wrote a same you know wrote a bunch of new song you know same new songs but we didn't do that we we went out we wanted to we had wanted to make a record with Brendan O'Brien mm-hmm. since, since we were kids and so like that was us kind of like like he made some of our favorite records ever so like. He was the engineer on Rage from Red Hot Sweet Peppers. He was the engineer on that record, not the producer, but the engineer. He produced Rage. He produced STP. Um, he produced, I forget who else, but, you know, he was like, right. He was like at the forefront of our mind of like, that's who we want to produce our next record. And, um, and so the label kind of just really allowed us to, to, make that choice for ourselves instead of trying to push us to do what they wanted us to do. They're like, okay, if that's what you really want to do, then go for it and, you know, and own it. And we did. And so, um, you know, after it was released or whatever, you know, come to find out, you know, like, um, commercially it, it, like, maybe, I don't know if people weren't ready for it or like, you know, they were expecting infest part two and that's not what we gave them. Um, but it definitely, it sold like, you know, quite a bit less record i still went gold it still went gold but it was just highly respectable
1: you know <laughs> but when you have but something I, that went double platinum that's kind of seen technically you know I mean? as a failure
2: yeah sadly. and um and and you know that i call that that was like our first lesson in the ups and downs of the music industry you know what i mean like they call that the sophomore slump or whatever you want mm-hmm. to call it some bands never recover from that some bands like take that and like it eats them up and then they break up and then that's it you never hear from them again fortunately that's not what happened with Papa Roach you know what I mean it's like um, and as you can see like if you if you kind of add up the different types of sounds that they've had that I had you know the my contribution to the band and then like you know what they did after me they have now like a full kind of Menu of styles that they can pull from and make whatever kind of record they want, you know Mm -hmm. I mean like they make great rock records, and um, I really respect them for that
1: What uh what I mean can you I mean obviously With making the record what was kind of the vibe of of when you were making the record because I mean to me like when I listened to it Not saying that infest wasn't serious, in any way shape or form i mean i think songs like broken home and and a lot of that like you know like those are obviously serious songs with serious lyrical content and stuff behind it Mm -hmm. but the thing is is there just seemed to be kind of like a a sense of melancholy over the whole and no pun intended like even a black cloud of sorts over the whole record but i think really to me as a listener just showcased the maturity of the band at that point like a band that wasn't like okay we're gonna like like you said like rest on the laurels of what you had already done but like you know, this is a direction we want to go in and showcase that we are a more mature band and, and capable of writing more memorable parts and making better songs that have better you know, go to better a lot more than just having like, Oh, here's a cool riff, here's a cool riff, here's a cool riff. Now we're going to the like, you know, we're saying, like, oh well, we had parts and we thought they were good, but then, you know, Jay Jay was like, make your your chorus better than your bridge although i've heard mm-hmm. other producers who are like your bridge has to be better than any chorus you'll ever write for that song so it's funny to even hear different musicians that have been on here be like different producers are like this the chorus is the strongest thing no you got to outdo the chorus on the bridge cuz that's what brings people to being like that's the fucking point of the song so it's well there's to- a there's
2: an old saying or or actually what we learned by working with Brendan he goes you know what the purpose of a bridge is right to and go back to the chorus like, what is it and he goes and he goes <laughs> Uh, what does a bridge do it takes you across the you know take you across whatever expanse and brings you home right and so that's what a bridge does And like i've i've taken that to heart i live with that you know every you know so when i go write songs or whatever like that like i carry that with me to this day like brendan continued the education uh our you know and and as he continued that education that was began with jay you know what i mean and we learned from jay and he brought a whole different perspective and skill set like not necessarily different in the way that they I and mean, they just they everybody has different methods of working and different points of view on music and to be able to to learn from both like really talented and successful uh minds like that you know what i mean uh brought us to it brought us to a whole other level in our songwriting and playing um one of the things i heard i don't know if you were talking with jared or rob or something like that but it made me think about um, when I just my musicianship and and what I brought to the table on that record, um, I remember Brendan clearly saying he goes, "I'm not one of those producers who's gonna, you know, beat up your drums and stick every note on the grid and Pro Tools the shit out of it and basically like, you know, you're gonna play, you know, a song and then I'm gonna like replay the song and I'm gonna have my engineer reprogram
0: it." Right in, in the
2: box, he goes, he goes. The most I will do. Is I will take if you have one half of a good take, you know, the first half of one take is good, and maybe the second half of the other take is good, or whatever. I'll put those two together, and that's it. He's also, you, it's up to you to step pointing at me, you know, like, to <laughs> me to, like he's like, if you, there's something, if there's something that you're not hearing in the way you're playing it, then figure out what you need to do to get that across. So, like, he's like, I'm not gonna sit there and like babysit, babysit yeah. drums. You have to play what you want to hear. He's like, that's how the Beatles did it, and that's what you have to do. And so, when you hear that record, that is my most raw playing. Like, yeah. out of all the records we've ever made, like for me, out of everything I've ever done, that that it, that basically is just me under some mics playing, doing what I do.
1: You I I, gotta, I just get a sense of like a very catharsis recording process for everybody between you, Jerry, Tobin. Jacoby I felt like nobody nobody just went in laid their parts and I was like okay cool I'm done like I feel like everyone put themselves on that record and for sure and it's not something that I'm saying that like you didn't do on anything else that I that the band has done since but there's just something about that record that just sticks with you like it I I don't know like it's interesting to think back when that record came out and like you know what I kind of wanted to know was did it when you were making that record and you were done and you turned it in like were you guys like Man, we made a fucking great record, and people are really going to connect with this. Or were Absolutely. you were you equally sh- were you a shock? You know
2: I I didn't really know. Like, here's the thing, man. I, at that point, I wasn't really concerned. I mean, I just had faith that people, the right audience, would hear it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it was a little bit of my naivete to assume that, like, whoa, we put out one platinum record, like this one will <laughs> platinum too. You know, like so. But um. You know, but from an artistic standpoint, when we turned that record into the label, like we were, like you said, like we were very much emotionally connected to that record. A lot of that record is documenting the trials and tribulations of what we went through during the touring cycle of Infest. Like they always say, you have like your whole life to write your first record, right? And it's literally true. Like we had like maybe four months to write the next record, and and then go in and record it, and then like two weeks to. uh, We had like I think we spent two weeks in LA with Brent. brendan came up to sacramento spent like a week with us went home we went to la recorded uh, the bass track you know like the the fun, uh, foundation tracks right like drums and whatever and then we all went out to atlanta for the for everything else like all guitar overdubs vocals and mixing and everything and i stayed out there the whole time i didn't like i was so attached and still like so involved in the music you know in the creative process that you know the consensus of the band was like no we're all going to stay here until the record's done and then we all go home
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I uh, it's just interesting to kind of think about that. So when the the record comes out and it kind of you know doesn't just take keep continue the the path of where Infest left off. What's kind of the vibe yeah. of the band? Like what? I mean, because I imagine. Oh, we were this, bummed, dude. I was gonna we say because the other I thing.
2: Was I, we we're so bummed. The, <laughs>
1: so like, so like so the so thing I
2: looking back at, it, I'm like, dude, it still went gold. Like we, it was, it was a good record. It was, a, I feel proud of the record. Yeah. You know, even though it commercially didn't do as well, and and it's funny because you you mentioned that it's one of your top favorite records, right? Yeah. You're not the first person who's told me that. I've 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 ran into. I was hanging out in downtown L.A. with a bunch of hipsters, and they're like you were Papa Roach, right? And I'm like, yeah, man. Like, you know, we're hanging out, whatever. And they're like, dude, my favorite records love, hate tragedy. And these were like, you know, these were like, you know, wax mustache, you know, <laughs> tight jean wearing hipsters. And they're like, right. dude, I love that. They're like, I don't like any of your other records, but I like that one. And so I'm like, you know what? The right audience did find that, that record found its audience. Right. Know, yeah.
1: So how hard is it to go basically support a record that your label's not pushing anymore? And, Seemingly, your fans, quote unquote, I'll say, because at that point they're Fairweather fans indirectly. How hard is it to keep going through and pushing and and trying to push a record that seemingly no one really gives a shit about? Like how hard because like like the like I was saying right before we were actually kind of recording officially. Yeah. You know, I saw you with nonpoint and you guys played a, a decent sized mid-level room, club. Yeah. And, and it was there like, was like no, or not even, not even. Not even. even like, no. Like no. maybe, yeah. Maybe. Not yeah. even that, right? Like honestly, no, if I have to if I'm trying to remember correctly and, and I usually have a pretty good memory with this, like I want to say there's maybe I might be being generous, 3-400 people, but to be fair, I, I believe the show was on like a Tuesday or Wednesday, so I mean, like yeah. you're dealing with like mid midweek shit in a B market. Um, So,
2: you know, I think, I think just like I I said it before and I'll say it again, it was part of our education of learning the ups and downs of the music business. And also like learning that, you know, you can't take any success for granted. You know what I mean? Um, You have to, to a certain extent, you got to give your fans what they want and then a little bit of what you want them to hear from you too. You know what I mean? And we hadn't really learned that yet. We were just like, we're going to do whatever we want and it's going to be all good. And then you learn like you know it's not that's not the case like you have to sort of um take care of your fans as well as taking care of your own artistic you know ego and and what you feel like you have to say at that point at that point but um you know that tour as much okay so your perception is that the maybe the label gave up or there was no like backing behind it but um i can tell you right now our label stayed with us like the whole time they did everything they could to bump that record and it was a big push up front and then kind of like you know like when there's they put way more money up front on that record than they did. Uh, yeah,
1: so by the time I, I feel like your second single, by the time like your broken home and so forth, like kept you going, know. you didn't right. have that on 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 this record. No, it was a
2: one, it was a one single record. You know yeah. what I mean? And yep. um, and maybe maybe the label knew that going in, and maybe that's why they put all the money up front because yeah, it was there was the one single, and it was like okay, this is our one chance to kind of like have a hit because maybe they didn't really hear any other singles on that record. And now that I look, think about it, there really aren't any other kind of singles on that record. It's really, it's more of an album. Uh, it's an album album. You know what I mean? I would, I mean, I would say.
1: I think I can think of a couple of singles. I don't know if they're traditional singles, but like, the, right. like, because the other thing too, that I like when I think about when that record came out, you had a lot more sync opportunities than I think. And that's, you know, anyone who listens to podcasts sort of in the music industry or people yeah. who deal with music industry shit, Syncs for those who may listen to this and not know what it is. Syncs are basically like getting an opportunity to get commercials, video games, so on and so forth. Any way to get your song into something else, movie soundtracks and so forth. And mm-hmm. that and back then was really ripe with being able to put rock music into like action sport video games, which are pretty popular back then, or like you know the X soundtrack and shit like that. And right, so, which I think
2: I think we did do that. Now that you I mentioned think it, like there was a lot of that on that record for
1: us. Yeah, like I think you guys were like in. Uh, like one of the Dave Mira games or Tony Hawk or something. And, you know, it's just kind of interesting to think like you guys on that, on that second record, I think I remember there being like two or three songs that were on other platforms,
0: Mm -hmm. Uh but
1: it's not like they pushed it and shit like that. And, and, you know, I know that's, it's all from my perspective and, you know, like a lot of times label stuff and, and all that thing, especially when you're looking back as a, you know 16 17 18 year old kid like who didn't know shit about anything in the industry and i'm looking back with the information i have now it's like this and granted i also live in a b market in the midwest which isn't necessarily a popular area for people to hit so i'm a tertiary area that's not like hey you're new york you're boston you're these things so you're going to hear it on active radio active rock radio and you're going to get a lot of these tours coming through like I understand all that now. So it's like when I say like, man, it seemed like, you know, the band game, like the label and you weren't getting a lot of funding. It's like, I'm basing that on the fact that I think I only saw you on that touring cycle here around like Kalamazoo, Grand Rapids, like the Southwest Michigan area. Yeah. Once. Right. On a whole touring cycle that typically would have taken you a tour cycle back then for you probably was at least two years. Right. So And
2: that record, that actually, that record was a short touring cycle because, and, and I think, you know, maybe it was the label, you know, like I said, the label put a lot of money up front and then wasn't maybe, that label
1: going under didn't it go under pretty they, they quickly got after there? they
2: got bought by Geffen Records. <laughs> that was it, that was I it. believe on that. In between, I don't know if so that could have had something to do with it. I'm not sure. Um, but you know, like um you know, everything's, you know, when the label is trying to figure out what they're going to spend their promotion money on, it's all based on reactivity. So like if you have a single that comes out and doesn't react or whatever, or like they well, yeah. get a sense that the market is not reacting, they are, you know, they have to like go, okay, like we see where the train <laughs> is going. Like, right. are we going to try and sit here and like throw a fire, you know, like throw, you know, g- gasoline on a, I don't know, not gasoline. Not, what I don't know what the term, what the, uh, the, um, the idiom is but you know it's like you know it's like it's like it would be pointless it's like it would be pointless to try and throw more money and waste right money yeah, yeah, yeah. that didn't react you know so
1: um and that you have to recoup
2: <laughs> yeah and that we and yeah and then at the end of the day like we have to recoup that on, on on record sales whether it's from this album or the next album or the next three albums so um in the end it worked out because we recouped we've recouped we recouped every record ever, we ever made, right? right? At least in my in my tenure with the band, right? Uh, we were fully recouped. We made our own money, and and that's part of like the I, I believe like what kept the band alive is that you oh know, for like, sure yeah we didn't like oh you know shit tons of money at the end of every record you know we were yeah. kind of smart about that you know thankfully
1: so interestingly too kind of going from love hate tragedy sort of into. The the beginning process of getting away with murder, so you guys got you specifically the band got lumped with Alien Ant Farm like they they hitched that band to your guys's wagon really hard it seemed right, uh, which was interesting because and maybe my timeline's a little off but it's like you're coming off a it, it's not like they did it when you were on Infest they did it on the Love Hate Tragedy cycle ish. And I think you guys did a couple of records or they were like the opening band on whatever you guys were doing. Yeah. And I just remember like, you know, I think Jay did their first record anthology. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, there's just a lot of like Papa Roach tie-ins to Alien Ant Farm. And it's really- Well, yeah,
2: there's a good reason for that. It's because we signed them and they were on our record label. They, we had our own imprint on DreamWorks. Was that the, go, ran- yeah. not Cucu, no, that
1: the Rancho not No, it coo-
2: was called El Tonal Records. That's it. And so the story behind that is that um, you know, we go back with Alien Ant Farm to like way before we ever got signed, like years before we got signed. We used to trade shows back and forth with them and we built a great friendship with all those guys. You know, like those are like our homies, you know, from from around the way, you know, so to speak. And um we had literally, this is a true fucking story, man. Kobe and I and Dryden made a blood pact. We slit our fucking hands and shook and made a deal that whichever band was the first one to make it we you know that would help the other band come up after whoever you know made it first would help the other band come up later okay and so um when that happened when when we blew up and whatever we stuck to our word and we went back we've got alien f farm. um you know we had our own uh, imprint on dreamworks records and we took their material to our A&R guy, Ron Handler. And Ron, you know, we're like, Ron, will you sign this? And he's like, yeah, man, like, absolutely. This is a great fucking band. And so it was, you know, the reason why we toured so heavily with them on that record is because that was their first record coming out. And so we had, like, literally a vested interest uh, in, in seeing them blow up, which they fucking did, which worked out great for us in the <laughs> long run. So, you know what I mean? It It, it all worked out. And it's funny because... I talk with Dryden now and, um, he told me just recently, he's like, we were talking he's like, man, you know, remember that blood pact we made about the whole thing you know, and <laughs> the, um, the whole situation? Well, yeah, dude. Like, you know, and he's like, you know what, man, thank you for that. And he's all, I can't honestly say that if it were us, if, if the situation were reversed, like, I don't think we would have done the same thing. He's like, I'm just being honest. And I'm <laughs> like, <"Well>, thanks, bro. <laughs> That's why you're my homie, dude. Cause you're just fucking, he's just, he's a straight shooter, dude. He'll just tell tell like it is. But um that's the story behind that, dude. Like, you know, um and obviously like Alien F Farm, you know, they had um they had they have great songwriters. They had the huge hit with the Michael Jackson cover. But, oh, God, um, can I but actually can I... that wasn't even my favorite song no. on the record. My no. favorite song was like I loved like uh uh gratitude. Attitude. I, don't even know that song. Attitude. I still to this date
1: yeah. What's it called? Attitude.
2: Attitude, that's right. Attitude I was just gonna say Gratitude's a beastie boy song.
1: Yeah. Okay, so as someone who, like, I remember buying that record because I got into that record when they released movies the first time, the first version of the, where they're all in the movie theater and all that kind of shit, because they did, like, what, two different versions of that that single? Because they did it. They did it first and then it didn't catch, and then they did Smooth Criminal, then they re-released movies, and then it caught again, and all of a sudden it's like, now it's a hit, and it's like, no, it was a hit before. You just didn't catch on to it. Yeah, yeah, But I remember buying that record and just being, you know, like, there's so many good songs, and I, it always bummed me out that it's like people are like, "Oh, that Michael Jackson." But I'm Like, there's so many fucking good songs on that first record. and They're even, just an amazing band all around. Under dude, like, yeah, they're so underrated. And then it's like by the sure. time you got to their second record, and they had like like these days is probably one of the most unassuming pop songs you'll ever hear. That when you hear it, that fucking hook it just gets stuck in your head, and you're like, "Fuck, man!" Like this band's so good. And I never found like, the
2: video for that where they crashed the yeah, here, yes, it was yes. It was and the fact
1: that like that like that's another band I. I, I I would love to get Dryden or Terry or like any of those dudes on this podcast and, and just kind of talk about those records. Cause you know, as a, again, as a musician, like I remember listening to Terry stuff and it's like, they reminded me a lot of sort of like a refuse that like kind of weaved in and out of a lot of different genres and just yeah. weren't defined to one certain thing. But unfortunately I just felt like people were like, Oh, you're that Michael Jackson band. So it's like, well, no, we're not. We're actually way more than this. This is just the one song that fucking caught and totally. It's, it's funny you mentioned them because I'm actually
2: going in to write um they're in they're on tour right now in Europe. As soon yep. as they get back, I think like in March, me and Dry are supposed to go in and write some songs together, so Okay. Which I haven't done in a long time, so I hope I have something to write about. But <laughs> I don't know, I'm gonna write about like driving my kids to school in the morning and doing laundry and I don't know whatever my daily life is nowadays. <laughs> it's definitely, I I live like the most chill, like non rock and roll, like non. Yeah, dude. I just like,
1: man, you can just, write a gnarly song about like paying taxes and shit. I
2: actually just did. So, yeah. but, um, but yeah, dude, like, you know, um, yeah, dude, just like mad respect to Alien Ant Farm and and one just another one of those totally underrated bands, dude. And they were they just did a tour a couple years ago, the Make America Rock Again. Tour yeah, actually it was like two years Alien, ago with like yeah. Yep. POD and Ant Farm and like Crazy Town. And I went to go see them in Fresno and um or not yeah, somewhere around Fresno. It was like at a campground. And uh <laughs> it was just cool hanging out, hanging out with those guys and and uh you know, we, you know, at this point, dude, we've all been in this thing, in this game for so long and, and we're like family at this point. You know what I mean? Like I'm super tight <laughs> with like Marcos from TOD and like, you know, dry from ant farm and like all the guys, I mean, all the guys in the band, but like those guys are like some of my best friends you know, in my
1: life. So, so kind of going, we keep going all over, which I love about podcast. So like, this is great. Um, yeah. Cause it's such a, it's just a stream of consciousness, you know, yeah. flow of conversation. So. When you guys were obviously coming off of the, I hate using the word failure. I, I won't call it a failure. I'll just say the the not a successful record with Love, Hate, Tragedy, going into yeah. to going getting away with murder. So here's a, a fun weird thing. I remember street teams were getting really popular around the time you guys doing this record, and I joined oh. your guys' as street team and got like a poster for like what that ended up being actually you can't see i'll have to show you like when we're done with this i have the the eight by ten the promo photo of you guys like in the warehouse and all that shit like that you guys Ah. ended up signing eventually when i ended up meeting you and uh i remember like getting all this stuff and and it's funny because like as a as a young person i was like man i get free shit and early access to concerts and shit and all i gotta do is just like go put posters on somewhere these guys are stupid and then like i realized like now as i look (laughs) back i'm like I'm a fucking idiot. I did so much work for them <laughs> for them to get, like, rewards. And now I understand, like, no, they, they knew what they were doing. Like, yeah, getting some kid, like, a fucking free ticket to a show who, like, put posters yeah. up around your town. Like, of course, that makes sense now. But at the time, I was like, you guys are dumb. <laughs> like, I'm getting free. Right. well, like- I
2: mean, and you know what? Let me just thank you because, you know, if it weren't for you and people and all the fans who did do that stuff, like, our street team, like, I owe so much to our street team because they carried us. You know what I mean? Like, that was... Like I felt like that was of, definitely
1: know. a guerrilla, like a grassroots market that you guys did for that record. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and what was interesting too is like when that record came out, and like "Getting Away with Murder" came out, the su- the single, and it had like the very like stock market, you know, kind of video that I'm remembering. What's interesting is like looking back on that record. I don't listen to that record a ton, just because it, it's it's a very for me, like, that came out in a, in a weird time in my life because it's like, you know, you're figuring out who you are as, like, a young adult and, like, you're living on your own. But, like, there's just, you know, all that shit and drama that kind of comes with it. Yeah. And so, like, I remember when the record was coming out and, and all that kind of stuff. And what's interesting is, like, I remember this this kind of, like, like, if infest was kind of the record where you're like you had nothing to you had everything to prove but like nothing to gain per se because you're like oh we're just we're signed and we're getting to do the thing we love and it's youthful yeah. youthful energy and whereas maybe love hate tragedy is the record where it's like we're more serious and we're we're very intro introspective on the music we're making i feel like yeah. getting away with murder because of everything that you had gone through previously there's a there's very much like a a lot of animosity on that record that I that comes across. And to me it's like because of Do you think? (laughs) And it's like I almost feel like you guys were taking like the 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 industry kind of turning on you and like not being as like stoked on you and being like, oh this band's done sophomore slump so on and so forth. You're like Sophomore slump, y'all think that? Fuck it. Here's this record and we're coming out like almost like a like it's almost it feels like how some bands come out with their first record where they're trying to like swing through the fences. And I feel like yeah. that's what you guys were doing on this record. Like that's, you think we're dead? Like a, here we're coming.
2: That is exactly I mean you nailed it, bro. Like that is exactly our mindset going into that record. I mean, like after, you know, we're like, are we gonna let this last record be... The end of the band or are we going to take this uh, and learn from it and, and figure this shit out and, and, uh, pick ourselves up by the bootstraps and, and, uh, and just go kill it. You know what I mean? And hence the name, I mean, even like the name of the album itself, getting away with murder. I mean, like we came back from the dead and ended up with like a double platinum record. You know what I mean? Like scars, like getting away with murder. Like there's so many great songs on that record from my point of view. I, I love that record. It's one of my favorites, you know? Um, but um, even more than like Love Hate Tragedy to me, like because there's a vindication in that record. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like the lyrically, the subject matter, um, you know, there's a lot of um, dealing with, I mean, the same kind of stuff that, you know, always was written about, like dealing yeah. with you know, substance issues and like, you know, personal, uh, you know, uh, personal issues, um, being self-reflective, looking at the world and being like, what's my place in the world? Like the world's kind of fucked up. What's going on? You know what I mean? Um and we took all that, we took all that like kind of angst and like vitriol and the things that we were feeling, and just like really threw it in that record, but then, on top of that, we approached every song like it was like we were writing a fucking single you know? right, like so it like, comes across song, yeah. like we wanted every song to be a fucking hit song like infest we're like, dude, yeah. we want every song to like you know stand up on its own, like all killer, no filler, you know what I mean, yeah, so um that 's where we were coming from on that record and It's interesting that um, I was listening to the to the podcast you did with um, Jared and Jared Montague of Taproot, yeah, and he was talking about how they had Toby Wright. They work with Toby Wright. Mm -hmm. Well, um, before okay, so going into Love Hate Tragedy, there was only one producer that we wanted to work with, and that was Brendan. So that's what we did, right? Going into this record, we're like, okay, let's be a little bit more strategic, you know, and let's have like an. We had meetings with very, like many different producers. Um, and so like we met with um, the DeLeo brothers, like Stone, uh, STP, STP yep. uh, Robert, you know, Robert and, and Dean DeLeo um, and who ended up being producing uh, Alien Affirm record after after that. OK, the like, second we one. We met with them. We met with um, we met. Oh, God, I can't even remember what but my point is. One of the producers we met with was Toby Wright. And Toby Wright, we played him all the songs. Like, we had gotten our best shit together, right? Like, we, I think we played him, like, we sent him, like, maybe 15 or 20 songs. Okay. And then we had a meeting at the DreamWorks office. And he walks in, and he was like, yeah, I maybe hear three songs. (laughs) I hear three songs. I'm going to rewrite. I'm going to have to go rewrite, like, the rest of the record. I only hear three songs. And we're like, you know what? You're not the guy. So (laughs) we we sent him on his way. And then uh, we met. Oh, one of the other producers we met with was Garth, who produced the Garth North Richardson. So he was, you know, he was in contention. And then we finally ended up. Um, we decided on going with with um, Howard Benson, and couldn't have picked a better guy to do that record. I mean, he just delivered everything that that record needed at the right. He was the right guy at the right time in the right place, and he, you know, he. Once again, working with him was another, another, you know, step in our education as far as like learning how to craft music, you know? Cause like Howard, Howard, I don't know if you know this, like he's not only a music producer, but he has like a, he has a degree in like uh, aeronautics and like, he's like yeah. a really super smart dude, like really just like goes above and beyond just making music. And so there's this whole thing that when he goes in and makes records is like his techniques and what he does to songs as far as like adding loops and like, um, you know, making things a little bit more like industrial and like electronic sounding and like filling sounds out, and the way he approaches his sonics um, just
1: really paid off in that record. Like, and you can hear it. I was gonna and say I, I can hear it on even on Getting Away with Murder. Like your Tom Fill going into the chorus, like it pans when you have a decent like stereo or headphones. Your Tom right. Fill pans uh, almost like as you're playing it on your kit. Like it pans from that side of the kit to your, through your ears. So yeah, there's, yeah. there's a lot of that that, you know, now you're saying that I, I can think of. And yeah, interesting. I didn't, I never put that together until just now. I was like, yeah, it does. It has like all these like little studio like tricks to it. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. He's, he, he's, he's the man, he's the G, you know,
2: when it comes to that. And, Kinda- um, so once again like here we are three records deep, three different producers, three um, like drastically different records, right? I mean Yeah. And so that you know those three records became like the foundation of like kind of the palette,
1: you know, I think that they still even pull from today, you know what I mean? Yeah. I've a curiosity, why did I I would feel like either about your second record or even the third one, a, a producer I'm surprised that you didn't end up working with, especially given the time frame of when those records came out was Terry Date. Like that just seems like a producer right. that would have been like right up your alley as far as like the sound and, and the tones and all that kind of stuff. I'm really surprised you didn't end up working with Terry Date. You know, man. I don't know why either, dude. I
2: don't I'm not <laughs> even sure. If we, I think we had talked about calling Terry, but um, you know, it could be like a thing of like you know because the Deftones work with him, and it's such a part of their kind of signature sound and stuff like that. At that, like around the fur and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and like um and so maybe because you know because we're you know they're sort of like at that point um in our career whatever like there was like you know they're from sacto we're from sacto they're kind of like our musical older brothers so to speak you know right kind of watched them come up you know we saw them play local shows we saw them get their record deal so like it was almost like um maybe subconsciously like uh, a wanting to carve our own path and do our own thing, you know, instead of just being like a, a Deftones, you know, riding the coattails of the Deftones, you know, right. so to speak. Yeah. So it's, that could be it, but I don't know. You know what I mean? I'm just kind of shooting, shooting out there, you know?
1: No, it's, it's, as I kind of was looking back and kind of going through the discography, it's like, I'm really surprised you guys never worked with the Deftones at all. Or I'm sorry, not the Deftones, not worked with, Terry? with uh, Terry Date. Cause I mean, it's yeah. like, that was, like he kind of had a lot of the, the sound of the big records at that point. And it's like, from a label perspective, I feel like they would have been like, let's try Terry date. You know, he right. did all these Pantera records. He did all these, you know, all these records. And I'm also kind of surprised that even, although trying to figure out when it would have worked best for you, I'm also kind of surprised. No, the label didn't try pushing you on like Ross Robinson.
2: Right. You know what? I think,
1: I think we did reach out to Ross and he was like, no, nah, I'm cool. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's actually, that was that's I think that's a true story. Yeah, okay. he like he wasn't even down. He was like, nah, no. Nah. He's like, that I already did sucks. Slipknot at that point. Like he had done Slipknot and then he had done at the drive-in. Yeah, so he's like, look, he's like I already been, I already done
1: all that shit. So like, I don't, I don't want to go backwards or whatever. I think that was his like. Actually, if I'm things. not mistaken, because I j- I talked with Evitts recently, and I think right around that time of you doing your third record is when he did that record with Evitz, uh in The Cure out at uh, Olympic Studios. So he probably was... Yes. And I know that was like a two-year process, I think, from what Evans was saying. So he might have been booked up on that. So, I mean, part of that is sort of explained there, uh, if my timeline's correct. But... uh yeah. So kind of going back to getting away with murder, something I've kind of wondered, you know, you have this big re- resurgence of fans and, and critical acclaim and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. And I think you were even nominated for a Grammy on that record, weren't you?
2: Uh, no, not on that one. We had gotten nominated on the first record, we had gotten it, got nominated for like best new artist and okay. best best uh music video for Broken Home. We got okay. nominated for a freaking Grammy dude, which is like am- I still have the I was gonna say you have the, the envelope. Yeah. Yeah, I have the certificates, you know, like framed on my wall. I'm like, wow, that's really cool. You know, that that, that even went down. And at the time I remember it was like you know, doing interviews, like we wanted it to be cool, and it's like, Well, what do you think about getting nominated for Grammy? It's like, Well I guess. <laughs> but like inside I was like, Fuck
1: yeah, dude, that's amazing. <laughs> all right. So what I was kinda of wondering though is like, you know, you put out this kind of like statement record, you're coming back, like, you know, everyone's basically like at that point, like what I like to call like the sucking the like sucking the dick phase again. Like people were like, Oh, we love you all, all of a sudden again, everyone wants like a piece <laughs> of you. So what was it like kind of going from the low of love-hate tragedy into getting away with murder and kind of coming back like you're getting playing bigger rooms you're getting a bigger fan base again you're getting offered good tours and stuff like that like did it really kind of show you like who your real friends were at that point like you know like now Mm -hmm. where people like maybe kind of trying to ride the coattails again you're like nah dude like a year ago you wanted nothing to do with me so like fuck you like nah I I ain't like that no more or, I mean, you
2: know, I don't I don't know if there was any sort of that mentality going into that record or even around that record. You know, right around that time, things started to get really fuzzy
1: for me. OK, uh, uh, yeah, I was going to kind of was, avoid all that. Uh, yeah, but I, you know
2: what I mean? So like um, I was definitely. Yeah, I mean, like I've talked about it in, in other podcasts. Yeah. We don't have to go into that story here. But um, for me, I think at that point I had just kind of you know, accepted like, okay, like this one's successful. The next one may not be, let's take it for what it is. Um, you know, like let's be grateful for the success and, and, um, and you know, I'd like to say that I didn't have an ego about it. I've always, you know, tried to be like a humble guy, but I think, you know, a little bit of the rock star, um, playing the role of rock star had started to kind of take over for me a little bit. So maybe there, you know, my head got a little big and, and whatever. And, um, So as much as I tried to stay humble, I think that, um, it got the better of me a little bit. And so, and, and it's almost like, I can't even really speak to what people thought around that time. Cause I, and I was just so, I was just so in the zone of like doing my thing. And then also like trying to, trying to, you know, hold, hold myself together and hold the band together. Um, that, um, I wasn't really paying attention, I guess, to our presence in the media that much, except for. I would check the message boards. I remember that. I remember I'd stay up late at night and check the message boards and see like all the all the fans like, you know, oh they did this. What are they doing that for? Or, like this song sucks or whatever like that. And I remember being really like affected, so i had to, like had to stop. I had to stop myself from and uh, I had to stop myself from from looking so much because that if you know if you don't have if you don't have a thick enough skin like if you're if you're too sensitive it could really
1: affect you you know so. Um, It's interesting you say that because I remember having, like I said, on the the tour you did with their Love Hate Tragedy with Nonpoint, I remember getting to meet Almost all of you guys, because uh, like I said, there was like nobody there, and you guys were all like willing to hang out, both bands. And I think there's another somebody like Reach Four Four Fifty Four. I think is what Rob said was the opener on that, even though they yeah, Reach
2: Four Fifty Four. It's my boy Renee Mata from. But the, from I, the- I think
1: they, uh, they, they didn't make our show. I don't think. I think there was some issue with like them, the opener or something. I don't remember. Rob, right. was talking-
2: you know who we had opened that show, if I remember correctly, was another band that that we signed. Um, or I think Kobe, not. Papa wrote yeah did pop roach sign them anyway this band Die trying who's friends yeah of
1: like, that was it yeah
2: they're the one they were the openers <laughs> on that show
1: yeah. um but something i remember it's you know it is kind of whatever it is because i mean like you know I'm, like you said on the other podcast to kind of go more into to this era of of what you were going through personally mm-hmm. but like i remember when i met you on the love a tragedy cycle like you were very much like this. Like, we were talking about something. Like, it was very chill very whatever. But when I ended up meeting you and hanging out with you for a hot minute on the uh, getting away with murder, like, era, I remember, like, you were kind of very distant. Like, there just kind of seemed to be something different. Like, you – I don't know. Like, almost like you, like, weren't as – open to talking to people like right almost like you had gotten burned like like i just like walked away and i was like i feel like that dude's been burned by like fans or something and like so he's just like really guarded and like right. I, think, I and that was just like my takeaway you know as everything kind of panned out i was like oh okay like that, i think this makes sense now like this is around the same time and, and you know obviously right. you went through your stuff and it's like you know as i've seen kind of like you know the other podcasts you've ended up doing it's like you know, you talked about the things you went through, but the yeah. other thing too is like, now you're on this other end of it. I'm like, that's the day I met the first time that like, I was like, man, that dude was so cool. Like I could just talk to that dude forever. And it's nice to see this side of you back again, because it's like, dude, that was the first right person the I met fuck on dude. I mean, you don't know how much
2: that means to hear that from you, you know, and you know, when I say, you know, just to know that, like, cause right now it's almost like, I, I feel like you're speaking for maybe a lot of people who feel the same way. You know what I mean? I, I definitely at that time, you know, like the picture that you posted on the uh, yeah. on uh, Instagram, Instagram. Yeah. that was, that was the show. Right. And you yep. can kind of see it on my face already. I'm kind of look, yeah. like disconnected Yeah, and like, you know, so without going deep into that other side of it, you, I could see, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you right now that like the things that were going on in my interpersonal life we're taking a toll on, even though we had, you know, success again and fans again, and like, that was going well, there was a cost. It wasn't going well for me. You know what I mean? Like I was there, you know, there was, there was things that were happening in my life that were taking me down a path that I, I started losing touch with, with the Dave that, you know, that I am, you know what I mean? It's almost like, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that, that, exactly how you phrased it man like there's something was off and that was that was kind of the beginning of that era for me
0: yeah
1: um so kind of i mean <laughs> i don't want to go by like a blow by blow of all the records so, uh it was kind of interesting because like by the time i started getting back into the band like my wife and i uh papa roach kind of was hitting another like peak again it seemed like where it's like okay like you guys put out like the Paramore sessions and i remember there being like the story about how that place was haunted and it just seemed like that was the story that everyone kept talking about or wanted to focus on. Cause I think Slipknot had just recorded volume three there. And so like everyone- uh, they had
2: recorded the Houdini mansion was right. Which right. We were on
1: one end of the Hollywood
2: Hills and they were on the other end of the Hollywood Hills. Okay. And so we actually recorded our records at like the same time. Yeah. So we actually went, we went over there and hung out with them and listened to, and listened to um, like the mixes. Like, you know, Corey invited us over. We went and hung out. And I remember, like, it's funny, like, listening to their mixes, like, we went into the, the mixing room, and, like, they played it so fucking loud that <laughs> fucking, like, it gave me nerve, it gave me, like, ear nerve damage, and, like, two days later, I had Bell's palsy. Like, it
1: it paralyzed half of my face. So slip, slip That should be fucking, the fucking sticker that goes on that CD. <laughs> so, when,
2: so if, if you ever wonder if Slipknot melts faces, no, it's fucking true. They melted my fucking face, literally. Jesus. Yeah. It's
1: amazing. It's amazing.
2: But yeah, literally like, cause I, when I'm like, I remember waking up two days after we had driven, we went on the last night uh, of us being in the, in the studio at the mansion and we, we were driving home and I remember driving home with my wife and we went to bed that night. We woke up the next day uh, back in Sacramento and I woke up and I couldn't like my face was like hanging off one side like this, dude. You could see like the listeners yeah. at home are gonna but it was like this. I was like, <laughs> what the fuck happened? I'm like, oh, what's going on? And literally, dude, like, uh, like I had I went to the doctor and they're like, okay, you have Bell's palsy. Like it's caused from like trauma to the inner ear. Could be ca- uh, caused by, you know, I don't know something like loud noise or some kind of like head trauma. And I'm like, loud fucking noise. What did I just do two nights ago? You know, the night before I got it. Right. I was at the Slipknot house listening to, to subliminal verses like at like 11, you know, like, <laughs> like fucking, you know what I mean? It was like everything on louder than everything else. And it was
1: amazing fucking record. Right. But yeah. my face broke, they broke my face. <laughs> so it was interesting. Like, you know, I remember that being the big narrative of that was like, oh, they were, you know, these two bands recorded and the Haunted Mansions and all this kind of shit. And I was like, all right, you know, I already heard all these stories when Chili Peppers recorded, like. I think like it's the same place or whatever. So yeah. like uh, that narrative didn't interest me. And then I think you got I don't remember what the next record was after that, but like I was saying, like my wife ended up getting like the band was coming around and I was like really excited and I was like, Oh, I haven't seen them since basically getting away with murder era so like mm-hmm. it'll be fun to go back and see this band. And then I realized that you weren't in the band anymore. And I kind of was like really bummed. I was like, it's like, I knew we weren't friends in any way, shape or form, but it was like one of the things where it's like, okay, like I've met the dude twice, like on the two times I went and saw them on the, on these two album cycles. But then it's like, when I found out, like when we were going, like you weren't in the band anymore, I was like, Oh, well, I don't know that I want to go see this band anymore. Cause like, it's like the thing that I kind of enjoy about this band's gone. And right. it was kind of weird. It's like, you know, wow. getting used to something new and then so it's like you know i mean it, it was fun and you know we've we've gotten to see the band a couple of times since like it's it's yeah. one of those things but it's like it's kind of weird because it's like i think my wife enjoys like she obviously loves infest and stuff like that and i yeah. would say getting away with murder definitely odd <coughs> but it's like you know going to see the band now it's really weird because it's like they don't play a whole lot of old stuff and i'm like like when someone's like playing your old stuff play you know something off of Getting Away with Murder, and I'm like, that's not old. Right. <laughs> like <laughs> well, to me, it's like I'm like, please tell you do, but it
2: is, it is old. I know, like
1: and that. I'm I'm one of those people. that's like, oh well, I only like the first three. Like you know, it's funny. Like in in doing some of these chats and stuff like that, I realize I've become that old person where it's like when people are like, what are you list <laughs> What are you listening to? And I'm like. I'm still listening to the Deftones. I'm still <laughs> I'm still listening to the Foo Fighters. I'm still listening to, and I'm just like mentioning all these bands. I'm like, I've been listening to the same shit for the last 20 something years, but the bands that are putting out this music are still so fucking good. Yeah. So kind of, as we kind of have said, like, you know, obviously not being in Papa Roach and, and the band still continuing on and, and having great success and stuff like that. And from all accounts, it seems like you know, you guys are all fine. I've seen you comment on different stuff and people liking your thing. So in in the digital world we live in, that seems like everything's good <laughs> everything's good. Um Yeah. But- no,
2: it is and like but yeah, and, and then there was a thing I did last year. Um I did a local um supply uh, charity drive, you know, for the Houston uh, um okay. hurricane victims. Yeah. And you know, I was like, you know what, man, like if I really want to get the most bang for my buck out of this, let me just kind of like pull out the old Papa Roach card and be like, look, it's Dave from Papa Roach. He's doing this. And so I reached out to the guys and they were 100,000% on board and they helped me out immensely. Like in, like, can't even like thank them enough for how much they helped out with that effort. Um, Like all of them, like just were like 100% backing it and, and helped out. And as far as like organizing, like, you know, like, you know, whether it was like organizing the, the, the supply drug, uh, the, the supply um, drives, like where we went and collected food, like the guys came out to that, uh, putting us together with a record. I'm um, not, excuse me, not the record station, the radio, the local radio station Cobe helped. Um, he got their cargo company to like pick up like a half a truckload full of water to take down to Houston. And Anyway. So long story short, dude, like, you know stuff between me and the band like for as rocky as it got for for you know when it did um we've made we you know that's like we've healed from that you know what i mean like yeah. you know those guys are like my brothers for life they always will be and regardless of in the band not
1: in the band whatever that's my family yeah period. yeah it's good to hear yeah. um so i always love finding out what someone's been up to once they're out of the band because i always think that's an interesting transition because like i ended up speaking of the still remains guys i ended up doing a podcast with their singer tj and something that interests me is when like i was like you know i know you went to cosmetology school in the early 2000s when that wasn't really a thing like dudes did um Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth and i was like but what does it look like you know when you're Done with the band you've been doing for like 10 years since you were like late teens, probably into your late 20s. And -hmm. then you got to get a job. And I was like, how does that look on a resume? Because to me, it's like, while I understand there are so many skills that you learn from being on the road, from accounting to maybe graphic design to, you know, things like that, that are real job, real world skills. Right. Sometimes job people don't understand that. All they see is like, well, you didn't have a job for the last 15 years. And you're like, right but I learned so much. (laughs) So I'm always interested in like what the transition looks like when you, you go from like a a band touring constantly and that's, that's your livelihood into, I'll, I'll say more like a, you know, more normal nine to five kind of a thing. Yeah. Well, um,
2: for me, like I'm not really the guy who knows the answer to that question because, um, I pretty much like my job is chasing after my kids. I'm a stay at home dad. Um, and, I'm very blessed to live this life. Um, I, I, you know, even though like, you know, as much money as I spent on uh, partying and, and having a great time, I was no dummy, you know, with my money <laughs> you know, I, I saved, I invested, um, you know what I mean? And then I still, even to this day, I'm able to, um, you know, to sort of live off like the work that I put in with Papa Roach. So um, to answer that question, like that's what I do. Um, and then, so, but you know, Im- immediately after Papa Roach, like I didn't just like, you know, come home and then my, my plan was that I was, you know, my original plan was that I was going to take a year off. I was definitely burnt out when I left the band.
1: Well, you guys toured a shitload.
2: It was and like, I was like I mean, they Yeah, they're, they're like machines. I don't know how they do it, but I wanted to take a year off or, or so, and then kind of like find, get back, you know, get my stuff together and figure out what I wanted to do. And then like my goal was to like you know just start new projects i've had several other projects after pop roach i have a there was a band there was a band that i started with a good friend of mine jake de roche who's a singer for the lonely kings here in sacramento we had a band called last angels that we did in 2008 we put out an ep self-released self-funded whatever like that um it was on like tune core so it was on itunes for a while we played we didn't play
1: that many shows we only played
2: didn't
0: like
1: you shows. didn't you play a sh- that that band name sounds familiar, like you like almost like uh, and I know this wasn't the band, but I I feel like I remember seeing that you guys were playing a show because somebody else's like side project like Head like his uh side project or whatever or like Wolf like when uh they had that thing with like Fieldy and and all them like I feel like there was like a band like that and then you guys were on on that show as like one of the openers and I feel like I read about that.
2: I think so, man. I can't remember. I um can't remember exactly but i I, yeah something like that it could have been headsband i think we played maybe a show with or maybe it was maybe it was headed pe but um and then you know that band you know we put that we put out that ep we did some shows and then i got a call from marcos from pod because it was um at that time in 2009 he was he wasn't in pod yeah yeah and he was like hey dude like i hear like you know what are you doing like you know like let's make some music so um we um you know he gave me a call it was actually okay so just to tie things full circle with you the project was cut had come together it was actually the brainchild of our friend renee mata who was the singer for reach 454 he's an a&r guy for i forget what i think it's a&m that he's an a&r guy for i, I think so i don't yeah. want to disagree, but anyway so and dude and, and him in his, in his own Right, just amazingly talented singer songwriter, but a very good businessman on top of that. And so he had come up with this idea of starting like a super group. And so he had reached out to a bunch of people and he had Marcos call me and he's like, hey, we're putting this thing together. Do you want to get involved? And that ended up distilling down into this band called Daylight Division, which was me, Marcos, Joe Leffler from Chevelle. Yep. And then there's two iterations of the band. We had recorded like three songs. With Dryden from Alien Ant Farm. Okay. Okay. And then, so that was like one iteration of the project. And then the second iteration was we had reached out to Lucas Rossi. And and he recorded like six or seven of like the same the same music bed, but different lyrics and melodies over top, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so between those two things, um, it was a really fun project to work on. And like it kept, it, it basically is... Um, the reason why I'm friends with Lucas to this day, cause um, um, like we've worked together again at um, like in 2012 ish, like um, this opportunity came, like I connected with Ben Moody from Evanescence. Yeah. A of, and a friend of mine, uh, Danny Hill, who's a manager who, um, who he uh, works, he books the ship rock cruise. Now he's the talent buyer for ship rock. Um, I had, he was hanging out. One of his bands was Ben was producing one of, his bands that he was managing, and I just happened to go over to Ben's house to hang out with Danny, and Ben was like, "What are you doing right now?" And I'm like, "I ain't doing shit. What are you doing?" <laughs> so like, we started the Halo Method, um, because um, there was there was um, the Shiprock. I was I was on Shiprock like in 2011, and, and uh, just hanging out. Like I got invited out just to just to be um, right the band or anything like that. And and uh, the main the head guy uh, of Shiprock, this guy Alan Koenig, awesome dude. Um, we were having dinner one night and I'm like, dude, this is such a great, you know, this is such a great cruise. Like, I would love to play this. He's like, well, do you have a band? I'm like, no, I don't have a band. He's like, well, if you put together a band, we'll have you on next year. So that fell into me and Ben Moody connecting. And then we reached out to Lucas to be the singer for that project. And, um, and then I ended up leaving that project in like 2013. Um, but there's, are still, I think, working on a record, um, Um, I think by now, like, I'm not sure what stage it's in in development, but, um, you should still expect to hear a record from them at some point. So, so like I've been totally like, I've been busy since Papa Roach, but just nothing has ever like, you know, I haven't been back in the full on touring mode, right? you know, active band member type situation where like, I'm doing that kind of stuff. I've just kind of been doing my hustle, having fun at it. You know what I mean? But yeah, you know that I'm just, that's, you know, it is what it is on that level. Um, it's, it's cool. I mean, as a musician, it's like, you always have to sort of have something cooking. I mean, you know what I mean? Just cause that creative expression has to, has to, um, you know, you have to be able to create, you know what I mean? And so, um, I feel grateful that I've had these opportunities over the last few years. Um, but then, you know, since then, um, you know, since my son, my son was born in 2009 and that was a, that was a huge change in my life. Um, and so, you know, after kind of like doing these these projects that kind of like they would kind of bubble for a while and then kind of like fizzle out for me. Uh, I realized, you know what? Like I kind of had a, I'm a meditation guy. I kind of pay attention to what the universe is trying to tell me. And okay. I felt like the universe was trying to tell me that, Hey dude, you got to take a knee for a while and take care of your boy and focus on that and when the time's right for you to go back to work we'll work that out later and and I listen to that voice I listen to the universe and um so that's what I'm doing and and I don't feel like people will sometimes ask me like well why aren't you like still busy in music or what you know what are you doing now and I'm like I'm I'm spending I'm dedicating my time to number one myself taking care of myself and then number two taking care of my family and spending time with my family and and um and living a spiritual life. That's what I do. Yeah. yeah.
1: So for my own clarification, and I guess I could just google this, but Lucas Rossi, isn't that the dude that ended up on the CBS the pop star Supernova? He was on Supernova. Yeah, rock yeah. star Supernova with right. like Tommy
2: Lee and yep. all that. And yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: okay. <laughs> Gilby Clark. Yeah, and Gilby Clark. Yeah. Lucas yep.
2: is my boy, dude. That's um that's uh dude, I I I've, I've been in two bands with him now. And we've kept, in, we keep in touch all the time. I talk to him on a regular basis. Like, so basically between Lucas Dryden and Marcos and Renee, like, those are like my heart. Those are like, that's my core
1: friends right there,
2: dude. Yeah. I mean, those are the dudes I talk to, like, literally, like, at least once a week. And we're always going back and forth on social media.
1: Um, So kind of wrapping up, because we've been chatting for two hours now. <laughs> um Shiprock, I mean, you were just talking about how you kind of got involved with it. You are literally getting ready to go. Hold on, because I have somebody else I was supposed to talk to on the cruise. You are leaving this weekend, uh, I think on Friday?
2: We're leaving on Saturday. Saturday. The cruise starts on Sunday. It goes from Sunday to Thursday. And, um, yeah, like, um, so I don't know. As know. I think I told you before or, like, somehow in setting up this podcast that I'm in the all-star cover band called The Stowaways.
1: Yep, a friend of mine is uh, on that with you. Oh,
2: very cool. Who is it?
1: Chad from uh, Wilson.
2: Oh, awesome. Very cool. Awesome. So I'll let him know. That you said, "What's up?" When I see him,
1: yeah, he told me that the Wi-Fi is shit because I was supposed to. I was talking with Skylar from He Is Legend, and he was like, "Oh, let's do another podcast." While yeah, I'm Wi-Fi about. sucks. Yeah, on he the boat, told me, dude. so I had to text yeah. Skylar, and I was like, "Apparently, the Wi-Fi is going to be a no-go, so we're going to have to wait until you're done with the the shiprock." But I was like, "But well, we can talk about ship Rock when you're done." Um, but yeah, so explain to me, like, you know, obviously, like the stowaway thing. Like, I just learned about ship Rock because of a few of my friends' bands uh, getting on it, playing it, and uh, the stowaway thing. Uh, Seems like it's been something that's really been solidified over the last. It seems like the three or four years, maybe the whole time it's been going on. But a big part of the cruise now is the stowaways and like who's in it. You know the songs they play and so on and so forth. So tell me a little bit about that and like how that's been for you. Yeah, dude. So yeah, the stowaways thing came
2: um, came up for me after after um i left halo method and because i was supposed to go so halo method's done shiprock twice we did, i did the day de- we had did our debut show on shiprock and then we were scheduled to appear the next year but by that time i had left the band so i kind of skipped that year i laid low but i got a call from danny hill and he was like hey do you want to do the stowaways thing and i'm like well what's that and so basically what the stowaways is it's a revolving lineup all-star cover band where we kind of all early in the year, we we get on this app called Basecamp, Camp and everyone's introduced on who's going to be on that year. And then they start we start tossing around ideas of different songs. And um, usually there's a theme to we play two sets on the cruise and usually there's a, there's a theme to each one. So this year it's um, it's a tribute set theme. So we're playing tribute to um, a lot of uh, music guys and, and women who have who have uh, passed away. Um, so like this year, my contribution to the, to the tribute set is I'm playing, uh, in the end from Lincoln park, like a stone from, um, uh, and then wood from Allison Chains.
1: Chains. Oh, one of my and favorite then
2: songs. The other set, uh, right. Dude. I love, that's probably my favorite Allison Chains song. And the best
1: part is, is like that, that, that song is just like so classic for the drums. So I mean, it's like you, it's get, totally. you get the best part of that song, <laughs> oh,
2: dude. It's man am- dude. I hope I can do it justice, dude. I mean, obviously, I'm going to play it my own way. I mean, I, I do my best. So we have to, you have to let me know what you think when you see the videos from YouTube. Hold on, wait. I'm going to do. A, I'm going to do a screenshot right here. Okay. Yeah, I'm posting that on Instagram tonight. <laughs> um, so, um, but yeah, dude, so getting just circling back like that's the stowaways. I get to do that. Like They've been inviting me out pretty consistently for the past, you know, like five years. Mm-hmm. And like it's not guaranteed that, you know, I'm ever going to get asked back. So every time that, I get that call, I'm like fucking sweet, dude. Like it's such a great thing. I get to go be a rock star for like a week, a year. Because the rest of my life, you know, I'm on dad duty, and which I love. It's like it's become my existence, and I and I love it. Um, but you know, I get a basically paid vacation. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we get to go out, and have a blast, hang out with my friends, play music. You know, interact with like fans, and and like you know, just kind of have this conversation, but like on a on a smaller scale. Right. Like so, Dave, what do you do now? I was like, I chill. Like you know, like, <laughs> oh, sweet, awesome. Like you know, it's um. You know it is. It's it's it's
1: cool, man. It's it's a
2: great it's a great blessing in my life. I love to do it. So if I can do it every year, I would.
1: (laughs) So to kind of wrap this up, so you can get back to your evening with your lady and and watch Netflix. um, We Netflix (laughs) and chill. (laughs) Um, But I always like to uh, end these with uh, with songs with a song. So what would you like me to play this out and maybe give a little backstory as to why you're you're feeling that song?
2: Damn. Um. Damn, you hit me sideways. You could have told me that at the beginning. I no, I don't do that,
1: that so. shit anymore. Cause like people are like, oh well, uh, I want to hear Queens of the Stone Age go with the flow, cause whatever. And it's like it's like it's a lot funnier tell you what. to to have I'll tell someone you just what.
2: Be like that. You know what? And just uh why don't you play my boys, one of my boys' new tracks? Why don't you play something off that new Papa Roach record? How about Born for Greatness?
1: Okay. Yeah. And then uh, socials, where can people follow you and get in contact with you if they would like to do that and follow your, um, your going on? Pretty ons?
2: much the only social media I do is Instagram, and it's real Dave Buckner. And so, is there is
1: there a not real Dave Buckner on Instagram?
2: Well, there was a Dave Buckner that passed out on the Glenn Beck show a few years ago. So I consider him to be the imposter Dave Buckner. All right. And the bizarre one.
1: So there it is. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me tonight and kind of go over a lot of like questions that I've wanted to know for, for so long and uh, for just being so honest and open about everything. So thank you. And uh, hopefully didn't hate this
2: <laughs> right on brother. Hey, it was uh thanks again for having me on your show, John. And, um, you know, I'll see you out there. Yeah. Out and about. Yeah, sure. Okay. Enjoy the rest of your night. Take it easy, bro.
1: So that was my chat with Dave Buckner, formerly a Papa Roach. Really want to give another shout out to Dave for taking the time to talk to me for about two hours. Actually, I think it was about two and a half by the time we were done. Um, I will out some of it. If you would like to hear some of the other Netflix suggestions that uh, Dave and I had for each other, uh, if you are interested in that, I guess go ahead and hit us up on our socials, which is a great segue. Uh, If you would like to follow Dave, you can over on Instagram and Twitter at RealDaveBuckner. He's not really active on the Twitter front, but he is pretty active on Instagram. Uh, If you have been following him or if you do follow him, you will see a lot of uh, Shiprock posts. Uh, More recently, as he is currently on the Shiprock uh, cruise along with uh, Chad from... Wilson, I know, it looked like uh, Chris Adler, I saw a friend of mine that's on the cruise uh, posted up, so it looks like Chris Adler is on the cruise as well, as well as some other great musicians and bands. Hopefully I can get Skyler from He is Legend on again, and can kind of get a little more discussion about Shiprock from his perspective, being a first-time goer, performer on the boat. Uh, If you would like to follow Moshpit Nation, you can do such at moshbitnation.com. Also check out some of the other great content that's on there. There's great reviews, uh, other interviews as well, other than just the podcast being a more audio format uh, for interviews and such. There's great uh, written content. Uh, We do album reviews. Uh, We also have a calendar of all the things kind of going on in the Michigan area, not specific to just here in Grand Rapids, but Michigan as a whole and also kind of expanding to shows going on in, in other areas. As I said, we are trying to take the website and the the Pit Nation as an entity and kind of make it more of a brand about metal and hard rock and all kinds of other stuff. Um, I know not everything I do is going to be hard rock or metal, and I think you're going to definitely see that in the next uh, couple episodes here coming up where I dip more into kind of uh, rap and like horrorcore rap and stuff like that. So I'm going to kind of be branching out all over the place. So I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how fans react to that and the fans of the artists uh, react to that. Uh, so keep an eye out for those episodes. Uh, but back to the socials, if you would like to follow me, you can follow me on Facebook at Johnson Title Podcast. You can find me on Instagram at Johnson Title Podcast. Uh, I've been recently posting uh, different things to try to coerce uh, Chelsea Wolf to come on. Uh, if you are on my Instagram page, you saw a photo of weed that I took. Uh, of my old roommates, um, when I was over at his place, uh, because I had a nice iPhone and they talked about the different types of photography type shit you could do. So I thought it'd be interesting to do use the depth perceptive depth perception, uh, thing. And do it with a bud of the weed that he had. So, shout out to my old roommate for allowing me to do that. And hopefully, if you follow Chelsea Wolf on Twitter, uh, that's pretty much a lot of what she posts. Is uh, tour dates, some other, st- some uh, musings and so forth. And then a lot of weed photos uh, from different places or accounts or whatever. Uh, so, maybe Chelsea Wolf will come on here and we can talk uh, all kinds of cool shit. Uh, maybe even weed, which is not necessarily something I'm into. But, <laughs> You know, different strokes for different folks, man. Uh, but yeah, so if you would like to follow me on Twitter, uh, you can do that at Johnson Title Pod, or if you would like to email me, Johnson Title Pod at gmail.com. Uh, as I said, a lot of great guests coming up. I have been just grinding to get all kinds of guests from all kinds of different corners of the world, whether it be musicians. Uh, I've been thinking about reaching out to a couple athletes. Um, just kind of going all across the board, like I said, this year I really wanted to challenge myself to get a variety of guests and, and kind of get this thing bigger and so forth. And I, I think I feel like I'm on the right track uh, of doing stuff as a whole. And seemingly, a lot of people are having fun listening to these episodes and such. So, um, but that that doesn't happen if I don't have great guests like Dave Buckner, who are willing to take you know an hour or two out of their day to talk to me about. Just whatever. So, again, thanks to Dave Buckner. Uh, as you heard him say in the outro, uh, he wanted me to play the episode out to Born for Greatness by Papa Roach. But earlier today, I got a text from Dave after he got off of ship rocked, and actually asked if I could change the song from Papa Roach to Watching the Wheels by John Lennon. He said in the text that the words have a special resonance with him and my story. So, we're going to switch it up and play Watching the Wheels by John Lennon Talk to you next week.
3: People say I'm crazy Doing what I'm doing Well, they give me all kinds of warnings save me from ruin When I say that Watching shadows on the wall Don't you miss the big time boy you no longer Look at me as if I've lost my mind